0: Thank you. Merry Christmas and welcome to episode 82 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor. is Gary. And today we're talking about all things Paul Thomas Anderson. It's uh something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And why not for, you know, a little celebration for Christmas, right? <laughs> talk about talk about PTA. Why not?
1: <laughs> why not? Indeed. Now that we've both seen all of his films since we were able to see uh, licorice pizza in LA a couple weeks before everybody else. Uh, seems appropriate to just kind of dive into his career and talk about what we like about this guy. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> of course
0: you 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 know me. I've mentioned plenty of times and if you've listened to any of our shows, I it's hard for me to hide my uh fandom for him. He's definitely my favorite filmmaker of all time. And I loved licorice Pete, so that was a blast to see that. With you it was a lot of fun. Um I do want to kind of do something we've never done on any of our shows before and kind of since, since, like you said, we've seen all of his movies, both of us, there's only nine of them. I want to kind of rank them, not necessarily, uh, you know, this one's my personal favorite or that kind of a thing, but more like what is his proper, you know, the standings of of PTA films and ones that, you know, from one, you absolutely have to see us all the way till nine. Or, you know, maybe we think it's like the weakest of his filmography. So we're just going to have some fun with it. You know, we'll uh, definitely talk some about the individuals who are nominated for the movie that we're going to be talking about later, The Master. Uh, That's, we're going to be giving awards out to that movie. It is maybe, you know, we'll we'll get into that but but it could be seen as his best movie. One of his best for sure. Uh, And it was up for Best Actor, Joaquin Phoenix, Best Supporting Actor Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Best Supporting Actress, Amy Adams. So some pretty awesome people we'll get to talk about later. Give awards out to the master. We'll look at the eighty-fifth Academy Awards, just you know, just for fun. So I'm excited to do all that. But before we get into that, I want to talk about PTA and all of his films. He's been nominated eight times by the Academy. He's never won anything, which is a, is a, is a damn shame. <laughs> I, I really hate that he doesn't have gold yet. But I don't think he really cares. Uh, I think he's always been making movies for himself uh, and. Making stuff that's personal, making stuff that's fun, and that's going to live on for a long time. You know, he's not he's not going for box office hits. He's going for films that will stand the you know the test of time. So I,
1: I'm really excited. Yeah, he's all about legacy. He's uh you know all of his films or most of his films have to deal with growing up in in California, which is yeah you know kind of his milieu and. Yeah, he goes outside the box from time to time. But every film has, you know, a style, has a grace about it. And uh, like you said, he doesn't care about winning awards. He's here to put his kind of make his mark on film. And I think he has done that already.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I love that uh, we've talked a lot about on the show that you you start to realize that these auteurs and these big time directors, they work with a lot of the same people over and over. And Paul Thomas Anderson is at the top of that list of using his friends, you know, using Johnny Greenwood from uh, Radiohead and using Mark Bridges, the wonderful costume designer and uh, Robert Elswit for cinematography. He goes back to the same people because they understand what he's trying to do. And uh, I love that through this show, we've, we've kind of learned that that's more the case than not <laughs> with uh, tours and big time directors. So with, with PTA, he's got uh, starts out in 1996 with a hard eight, a uh, lot of fun, great movie. And then goes uh, just immediately after 1997, uh, Boogie Nights. And then there's a two-year gap before my, my personal favorite movie of his, Magnolia. I understand it's not his masterpiece, but it, uh, I do just, I love that movie. It's, it's quite long, but, uh, but it's got everything that I want. And all these crazy ideas just colliding at once. Uh, and then he takes a three-year break uh, before Punch Drunk Love in 2002. And then there's a big old, big old gap between 2002 and 2007. For there will be blood and you can see him stepping up his game big time big time in that in that stretch and then there's another big gap from there will be blood to the master and this is something we'd see more often with him like okay he's taking these breaks because these movies clearly take a huge toll and are, are very creative and you know they're they're intense <laughs> they're intense movies that just take a lot of time to properly make and he's a guy who's always used film, right? He's always been very, very big on that and kind of doing it the right way in his eyes. And I really respect that. So then you have yeah, 2012, 2007 to 2012, you have that break and then the master and then 2014 inherent vice, 2017 phantom thread. And then finally this year, 2021, a licorice pizza. Uh, he's in his early fifties and I, I don't think he's done by any stretch of the imagination. I think the guy still has a lot left in the tank. Uh, he's, clearly having a lot of fun here with licorice pizza and and it's really cool to see that. So if I were to ask you, Connor, what, what's kind of in the bottom tier of PTA's films, where, where do you think what's the movie that you, you, you don't think everybody has to see that, that kind of, you know, that kind of conversation.
1: Well, let me start out my ranking here by saying that I don't necessarily think any of these movies are bad. Mm. Uh, Even the bottom tier is These are still good movies, Um, but, you know, there's a lot of personal preference here. Um, Yeah, I would start out number nine, Inherent Vice.
2: Okay,
1: Uh, I hated this movie when I first saw it uh, back in 2014 with Caleb. And I guess, you know, both of us were not big Paul Thomas Anderson fans at the time. I hadn't seen really anything and I was not prepared for what this was. Um, I acknowledge that I went back and watched as much of it as I could for this episode. And I found something in Inherent Vice I hadn't found before. It was still hard to follow at times, but I was able to grasp more of it and appreciate it for what it was, which is great because I've, you know, I've learned over the course of these shows that a second watch is crucial to understanding certain films. Um, Inherent Vice is one of those movies. It's I, I, I can't really explain the plot to anybody who hasn't seen it. Uh, but if you're going to introduce yourself to Paul Thomas Anderson, this is not the movie you should you should use. Uh, no. This is for this is, is for the, the long timers. This is for the people putting the work in.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Inherent Vice is definitely an acquired taste, and is you know based on the novel of the same name by Thomas Pynchon, and the book is wildly confusing, just like the film. And but everything does have a point and has. You know, if you're really, really trying to trying to latch on to what's happening, you know, you start start hearing Golden Fang a lot throughout the film. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? You know, there there are things that are, that are like really cool things happening. I love Inherent Vice. It's great. Uh, after rewatching it, just in preparation for this show, I was like, oh, my God. You know, I I love this movie even more. Uh, I also saw it in theaters. I saw it with a, uh, at the time in 2014, I wasn't a uh Paul Thomas Anderson disciple like I am now, but I, I was a fan. I hadn't seen everything, but I, but I, I just knew this is the guy who made There Will Be Blood. So I mean, I should check it out. And I went and saw it with a friend, uh, who at the time we saw it at Embassy here in San Antonio, Santico's San Embassy. And the guy I went with was a massive fan at the time. It was like Paul well, Thomas Anderson's a god. You know, he, we have to go see this. And and I, I was just I was just blown away by. mainly the cinematography it's just out of this fucking world like what on what is happening the the way that he captures 70s california is unlike anybody else in modern day cinema his his tenacity when it comes to doing things his way the right way in his eyes is really cool i love in her advice i personally would have it probably a tad higher but i i totally understand it is it's two and a half hours. It's wicked confusing. And it definitely, like you said, I think the biggest point with Inherent Vice is that I wouldn't start out. I wouldn't want anyone to start out Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography with Inherent Vice. So I'm okay with that being
1: number nine. It's like me, you know, I, I didn't like it. And I was hesitant to continue looking up his work. I was like, oh, this guy doesn't give a shit about entertaining people. This is just another art movie director that I'm not going to want to bother with. But then I looked at the rest of the work and I'm like, oh, no, I young Connor was a fucking idiot. I, I get it now.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you got to you know, you got to be you got to learn from who you were or else no one's going to fucking tolerate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that. And, and, and your
0: man, your man, Thanos is, is at an all time high in Inherent Vice, Josh Rowan. Jesus fucking, Christ,
1: fucking Bigfoot.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Ridic- ridiculous human being. In this movie I, yeah yeah I, I i i'm gonna finish it just on principle because i'm like i want to kind of re-experience this film entirely but just from i watched about an hour of it and i was like yeah okay this is better than I remember.
0: yeah and the the, the just like always the soundtrack jesus you know uh from the very beginning we hear uh like when we see the title and her advice. And you got walking Phoenix, just looking down the street, like what just happened. And it starts plying vitamin C by a can. And you're like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm in Paul Thomas, Anderson's, Paul Thomas Anderson's world. It's
1: very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I love this one. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Um, so that's the only one I would label as kind of questionable. Everything else pretty straightforward for me. Um, number eight is phantom thread. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Phantom Threat, Daniel Day Lewis's swan song. Um, this is a good movie for the right audience. This is a film about a tailor obsessed with perfection, and that is not necessarily going to be the cup of tea for casual movie fans. Uh, I had to watch a lot to reinforce my love of you know Anderson's work, of Daniel Day Lewis's work, of just this idea of cinematic obsession which i've ironically become kind of obsessed with uh and it's a great movie it's a great performance piece for ddl to really kind of end his his career this time I, I still think he's coming back at some point uh for you know on more of a softer note you know this isn't bill the butcher this isn't daniel plainview this is uh oh fuck what was his name i what reynolds woodcock Reynolds Woodcock. I knew it was Woodcock. I thought I wanted to say Russell, but I'm like, that's not right. Uh, Yeah, Reynolds Woodcock, just a a quiet man with a lot going on in his head. And if you just watch it as a performance piece, like as a character study, this is great. Uh, I just think Anderson's other work is substantially better. And that's just, you know, there's a lot of eights here, a lot of eights. And I have to kind of justify like is this a high eight is this a low eight i gotta like go into the minutiae here and it's weird <laughs> so yeah yeah no.
0: yeah i know i know exactly what you mean i think phantom thread is just like inherent vice and acquired taste for different reasons like you said phantom thread is probably a movie in theaters that a lot of older people saw uh, a lot of oscar fans saw most likely and if you're looking for boogie nights, uh, sorry, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just the the pace is way different than what we're used to with, uh, with Paul Thomas Anderson. And while there is humor in it, there's some fun stuff. It is dark. It's a dark film. And like you said about obsession, uh, also about with Alma, uh, his love interest, you know, it's, it, I, I like looking at the movie from her perspective because it's like, a character study for, of course, Reynolds Wilcock, but also a character study for someone who's falling in love with an artist, who's falling in love mm. with like a creative with a creative genius. And there's yeah. definitely there's gotta be stuff in there that Paul Thomas Anderson has had to kind of confront in his own world, in his own mind. Uh, that when you are that obsessed with something when you're when you're making it, you're probably a prick. You're probably an asshole. You know, you're probably you're probably one track minded. And I think PTA has always you know, throughout his life with his relationships. And now he's been with Maya Rudolph for nearly 20 years and uh, they have four children together. I think he's always had to kind of confront that about, about himself and about creativity. And I think that's why he takes such long breaks in between his movies is it's intense and it's, there's a lot of intent. There's a lot of really tough decision-making and it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's cool to see him do something like phantom threat, you know, fucking, Boogie Nights is only 20 years prior, right? I mean, for him to go through that gauntlet, you know, of, of creativity in 20 years is, is really outstanding. And I love that movie. I, I really do. Rewatching that was, was an absolute blast. Uh, I, I saw in fears as well uh, here in San Antonio at, at one of the draft house theaters and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, you know, Johnny Greenwood score again, Mark Bridges, he won costume design for that movie and, and DDL, ddl lost to gary oldman that year uh that's tough for me to tough for me to swallow i don't think that's gary oldman's best performance by a long fucking shot and i think Day lewis is he's he's properly hanging up the gloves you know he's properly hanging up hanging up the jersey and saying i'm done and i gave you everything you know and i love that i love that that was his last movie is this like you said this kind of subtle but whenever he does snap he fucking snaps and it's awesome <laughs> it's so so fucking good i understand this one being at eight i also uh i have my own you know personal list of just straight up favorite like which ones are just just speak to me as a human and it, 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 this one either way when it comes to kind of his stature as a filmmaker or me personally it, it, it's somewhere
1: in the bottom three i i still love it i I was happy to see Gary Oldman finally get a statue. I, and I like yeah. darkest hour, but I, I get where you're coming from. Darkest hour is Churchill is a bit more impersonation than transformation. I get that. Yeah. But. Oldman's got a statue now he's Academy award winner. Gary Oldman I know. was a long I know. time fucking coming. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I really, I, well, I really deep down
0: think Daniel Kaluuya should have got it for get out. But I think, uh, it would have been really cool to see Daniel Day Lewis get four, because that's that's just nobody else is going to do that, and, and uh, that would have been really cool to. It would have put him in a different stratosphere, you know, when it comes to the Oscars. It would have put him in the same class as Catherine Hepburn, and that's cool.
1: Yeah, that is cool. Uh, going back to the beginning with number seven, Hard Eight. I figured. Yeah, I figured this yeah. was coming. Yeah. Hard Eight was really cool. I love gambling movies. I love poker movies. Me too. And this is, you know, for a first film, for a debut, he he had the kind of sense and grace of an older filmmaker from the beginning, which is really impressive. A lot of filmmakers don't have that kind of control just going into the business. And he just seemed to know exactly what kind of filmmaker he wanted to be just from the start. Hard Eight says so much about his career going forward. Uh just the way he b- balances characters and drama. Uh it's 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 pretty amazing. And Heart Eight is a really cool movie, a good predecessor for things to come. Uh and also a great drama piece for John C. Riley, who I don't think gets enough credit for his dramatic talents. Uh, yeah, Heart Eight is a really cool movie. Pretty short too. You could probably knock this one out quickly. Yeah. It's his. It's his second shortest
0: uh, in runtime. It's like about. It's like an hour and forty minutes, which is just unheard of for him. Uh, and, and and I think this is where his biggest trademark comes through. Very very bright in Hard Eight, and that is his ability to give lead and supporting actors actresses just killer shit to say. And Sydney Philip Baker Hall's character. Good fucking Lord, what a cool character and what a great performance, uh, a Hall of Fame type performance. And it's where we see him, uh, like you mentioned with John C. Riley. that's where Philip Seymour Hoffman shows up for the first time with him. Uh, he shows his ability to work with actors and then get them to come back right away, get them right back on board. Imagine making Heart 8 in your mid-20s. Like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? It's crazy. It's really bonkers. And then to follow it up with, of course, his 1997 masterpiece. Uh, I I love Heartache. It's on Amazon Prime right now. I really encourage people to go check it out if you haven't. It it is, it gets a little off the tracks for for some time there uh, uh, towards the end of the movie, but it is good. It's so good. The first 20 minutes or so are fucking mind boggling when Philip Baker Hall starts to kind of take John C. Riley under his wing and you're just, yeah, you're just in, in that casino, you know. Uh, you're in Nevada with them, and it it, it is fucking cool. I love uh, how his influences are worn very, like, very much on his sleeve right there. You know, you can see a lot of the Robert Altman uh, in, in in that movie. And You can see his 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 uh, his addiction to addiction. You know, the addiction of gambling, the addiction of you know. There's characters drinking and drugs and all these different things. He likes showing that on the screen, and I, I yeah, I love Hard Eight. I uh, personally have this I think I think I have it la- uh, I think I have it last place but again these are these are I love all of these movies so much I, I do know from what I've read that uh, this is his first feature and the production company did have to kind of pull him back a few times and when he does his next movie there was no there was none of that there was no there was there was no kind of uh, taming him
1: And you can you can tell. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going to follow this up with two, you know, one movie that's nearly three hours and another one that's well over three hours. Yeah. Yeah. And but I like that he's you know recently come out and said, like, they probably could have been shorter, which is funny, like to own up to that. Like, yeah, as a young man, I was too ambitious. It's it's cool to see a, a filmmaker kind of, you know. Reflect like that.
0: Yeah, I think he's he's very realistic about uh where his mind was in the mid to late nineties and how he was, you know, taking taking drugs and just kind of all over the place. Uh I like that he's realistic about that and talks about how he was out of his mind in the editing room for Magnolia. <laughs> he's just just losing it. <laughs> and 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 the, and it shows and you either you either are in for that, uh, for that for that ride or, or you're not. So yeah, very, very cool that he started out with Heartache. You know, uh, I think a lot of times someone will make a movie uh, and then they're chasing that the rest of the time. Paul Thomas Anderson has never looked back, really. He's always just topping himself and always kind of playing against himself.
1: And I love that. Yeah, and we see that big time with his most recent effort. My next one, Licorice Pizza. Mm. Yeah. Uh, definitely a film about you know, where we've been, like where we've, you know, growing up in a world like this, uh, looking at, you know, your own history through the lens of who you used to be. And that's, that's really cool. I definitely, you know, especially with uh, Cooper Hoffman on board, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, reminiscing, reminiscing on this set. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's a weird movie. Yes. It kind of glosses over some statutory rape, Yes, it's an odd relationship between a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old. Yes, weird. Let's, let's move past that now. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think I, I
0: actually, I don't want to move past it. I think it's really interesting. I think I, I, I totally see that if it were flipped, if the 25-year-old were a male and a 15-year-old was a female, this movie wouldn't get made. I think that's a huge part of the point. I think the uh, the the male characters in this movie very much display how males and, and you know they males still get away with a lot, but in the early '70s, got away with fucking murder and got away with whatever they wanted within the, the movie industry, without, within the acting industry. So this guy, it makes sense that Cooper Hoffman's character is thinking well I, I can't be touched I'm fucking, I'm a fucking showman I can do whatever I want I can get any woman I want I can do anything I can walk into any bar and they're probably going to serve me that's his attitude and he carries the same he carries that same bullshit attitude that like arrogance that so many of the male characters male not characters ma- males in the in, in Hollywood you know look at Sean Penn's performance look at Bradley Cooper's performance they're just like they're like I, I can't be fucking touched and I think, I think that's very intentional from Paul Thomas Anderson that that era, specifically in the industry that he grew up with and, and still loves and still works within, had its glaring problems. And it's good that that doesn't happen anymore. Of course, of course, it is. You know, it's, it's still happening, but
1: not to that scale where it's just every single person gets away with anything they want. So you see this as kind of a, his showcase of 70s Hollywood toxic masculinity.
0: For sure, I, I don't <laughs> think that's. I don't think that. I don't think that's all it is. I think he uses that as a vehicle. Yeah. And I think I think Cooper Hoffman does a does a wonderful job. In this movie, Lohan does a wonderful job. It's just fun. It's just a fun ass movie. I was cracking up in the theater for this one. I, I was really happy again that you were with me uh, to see this because we were just looking at each other like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> and yeah. I, I love that. I love that feeling that I get every time with Paul Thomas Anderson's
1: movies, where you're just. Okay. <laughs> of of all the films we could have seen at like a premiere week in Los Angeles, seeing a Paul Thomas Anderson movie just that's just serendipitous. Like it just worked out so well. The yeah, timing yeah, of everything. Y- I, it was perfect. Hell yeah, it
0: worked. It worked out great. And I it, whenever his, you know, next movie comes out, 2024, 20, 2025, whatever, I want to go back. <laughs> I want to go back and, and do that
1: exact same thing. That was so fun. Yeah, we'll make that our our tradition. We'll go to L.A. every time PTA releases a new one.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and and I would like to. Uh, if we could have stayed a little longer, uh, you know, could, you know, I, it was showing at the New Beverly uh, Cinema, a Quentin Tarantino's theater. That would have been a really cool experience on a little bit, you know, a smaller screen with these people that are, you know, real tight, uh, smaller theater overall. Yeah, that would that would have been that would have been really neat, you know, to see. Out of
1: two of our Favorite directors of all time At work Right Uh, Very cool And I'd be lying If I said that The experience I had Isn't You know Tainting my opinion Of the film I I'm gonna link Those two forever That's never gonna Go away Uh The film I you know It does have It's weird narrative Decisions to just Drop random plot lines And never revisit them Yeah But that's something I've kind of gotten used to With Paul Thomas Anderson Uh You gotta, you know, you're, you, at this point, I, you know, it's my, it's on me. Like I've seen so much of his work. Like I gotta deal with it. Um, but overall, this is an entertaining movie and it's an oddball and I like the message and, uh, it's a good film for now for right now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. with, with, with all
0: movies trying to tell you something about the times that we're in, yeah. It's nice to just watch a movie and just watch something that's entertaining and yeah is, wha- is wacky and committed to itself and and has a wonderful soundtrack good god almighty the soundtrack is so yeah. cool in this
1: movie uh yeah Liquor's Pizza at number 6 feels right yeah sometimes you just want to watch a 15 year old hustler try to sell some water bits yeah yeah and then, a, and, and then make them and 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 then
0: come up with a place called Pinball Palace yeah come on
1: Oh, what a weird movie. Um, okay, top five. Uh, number five is Magnolia. Yeah. Uh whew, this is a um it's a this is a tough one to explain to people. Like, yes, I sat through a three and a half hour nearly uh multi like character drama that really doesn't have a story, but just kind of shows. The life and times of random people who've kind of lost their moment, which is really interesting. And th- this movie has some of the greatest character moments I've ever seen, um, especially with uh, Frank T.J. Mackey. Who, yeah, I don't like to praise Tom Cruise often because he's kind of a piece of shit, but he's the perfect piece of shit for this piece of shit. <laughs> it's, yeah, it works. Yeah. And I love this guy who has built a life out of just being a super misogynist and just distancing himself from all of his emotional shit and then having to confront everything all at once and the the weight of that you just feel it his moment with Jason Robards and then you know P.S.H just off to the side crying his eyes out dear lord man i mean i you know i felt that um right there and then also you know the whole thing with William H. Macy and the weird quiz kid shit. That was great. John C. Reilly's kind of sad, broken cop. Um, It's just a great bunch of actors giving it their all in a screenplay that was like just cranked out with zero editing. (laughs) Like this thing is a monster. I bet like you could beat somebody to death with a Magnolia script. (laughs) (laughs) But you also see a filmmaker who's here to stay. You know, you might at that point said, oh, 8 was cool. Maybe Boogie Nights was a fluke. Then you see Magnolia and you're like, no, this guy's going to be here forever. I, yeah, I totally agree.
0: Uh, I love, 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 love this movie. It's my, it's my favorite movie of all time. So of course it's my, my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. <clears throat> it is not his best. There's just no way. I mean, for fuck's sake, there's frogs that fall out of the sky, <laughs> you know, uh, a, bit, a big part of why, I, I, I mean, I love that. I love that kind of weird twist at the end. And, you know, John C. Raleigh's in his car, uh, Jim Curring, Officer Jim Curring, and he's like, what the? You know, a frog just lands on his windshield and then we're showing all of the different characters and it's Philip Seymour Hoffman who says, my God, there are, there are frogs falling from the sky. You know, he just calls it out, what calls out what's happening. Uh, and then Stanley, the, uh, the new whiz kid, uh, he's like... Uh, uh, he's like these things happen These things happen and, and, and you know the more and more I watch it The more and more I, I'm just convinced that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson Has been a genius for a very very long time And there's references To the book of Exodus from the Bible At one point William H. Macy, uh, Donnie Smith is, is quoting a verse from, from Exodus While he's like throwing up in the toilet And then In the book of Exodus of course With, uh, with old boy Moses uh, who, you know, of course is a big, big, big character in the Bible. Uh, at one point there is a threat that frogs will fall from the sky, uh, from, from God saying, you know, this is going to happen. And, uh, to put that in your movie is very ballsy and not a lot of people are going to go for it. Also, not a lot of people are going to go for your cast in the middle of the movie singing along with Amy Mann's wise up, you know, uh, it's it's just got so many wild wild fucking decisions it's clearly a guy approaching 30 who's like uh everything is happening in my mind everything i'm questioning everything i'm questioning how i was raised i'm questioning how people people are raised i'm questioning uh how important it is to have your parents around and good heavens you know it's the exploitation factor of you know uh, uh, you know adults have on their children in some situations and specifically in this movie dads to dads to their sons just fucking nuts and jason robarts who passed away shortly after this movie was done uh he is giving kind of all he has left in this movie uh, as earl partridge and that like you mentioned that last scene that him and him and Tom Cruise have together is, is some of the best shit I've ever seen in my life. Cruise apparently was struggling with that part of the movie when they were filming and Paul Thomas Anderson was like challenging him kind of, kind of doing what directors every now and again have to do to get the best thing they, they want out of their, out of their actors. And was like, Hey, think about your dad. You know, this apparently Tom Cruise and his dad, you know, have their, have ha- had their own issues. And then we get what we get, you know, we get Tom Cruise kind of holding his fists together and, don't you go away, you fucking asshole! You know he's just like screaming at his dad. Uh, that stuff is is fucking unreal, and and all the the connections that everything has, uh, the use of San Fernando Valley, very cool, just very cool. Crazy double feature with Boogie Nights, where you get this. Uh oh, we have the next Scorsese in our hands. To uh oh, what, what is this? Like, what left turn did he just take? uh he could have made another really entertaining wild fun movie but instead he makes magnolia which is maybe his deepest movie his most disturbing movie and i i, I love it i love it so much uh, i it is three hours but it, it whips by for me because i just i'm i'm just having a ball the entire time and and I, I i love it i really could go on and on forever about it we'll definitely do an episode on it one day i can't believe Tom Cruise didn't win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, losing to Michael Caine. That's one of the, one of the biggest kind of snipes of all time for me. Even you and I were t- texting about it last night. Uh, we were like, even, even Michael Clark Duncan for Green Mile or, or Jude Law for Talented Mr. Ripley or Haley Joe Osmond. You know, there's there's so many other options. They go with the kind of boring Oscar bait movie and role for Michael Caine. I love Michael Caine, but come on. Tom Cruise is putting... Everything out there for you, you know, as Frank T.J. Mackey or uh, his real name, Jack Partridge. He's he's fucking bonkers in that movie, and and I think that's a damn shame. I love it. I understand it being number five. I think a lot of people probably have it somewhere in there. You know, I think a lot of his fans really like it, but they also are like, I don't watch it all the time because it's a fucking you know, it's a fucking marathon. Clearly, the Academy did
1: not respect the cock. Uh, no, they did not, because. Yeah. <laughs> watch the movie you'll know what shit. I'm talking about
2: yeah I love <laughs> that
0: shit that's the first when we see him he's just raising his <laughs> he's just Ridiculous. raising his arm
1: I watched that uh, clip in um in a film class I took in college like they were I don't remember what she was trying to show us but she played that <laughs> for Magnolia and I'm like this is weird I hadn't seen the movie yet Um, it was me in like a, an auditorium of like a hundred kids here and respect the cock <laughs> just tame was, the cunt Yeah. Like, what the fuck <laughs> But yeah, I, I love Michael Caine, too, but that he cannot hold an American accent. And when you flub your accent, you don't win an Oscar. I'm st- that's that's my opinion. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And vice
0: versa. You know, you, you got it. The accent. It's like when someone doesn't sing in a movie when they're supposed to sing. If
1: you can't nail an accent, then it shouldn't be awarded right there. Best supporting actor. I want the best should get it, and Tom Cruise, as much as I don't care for him as a person, earned that Oscar. Yeah, I agree.
0: And, and has has he's in the top? He's at the top of the world, right? He's done. He just done Mission Impossible 1996. Uh, he can do anything he wants. Tom Cruise can handpick the movies he's going to be in, and he decides in 1999 to be in Magnolia with young Paul Thomas Anderson. And to be in Stanley Kubrick's last movie, Eyes Wide Shut. Are you fucking kidding me? What kind of a movie, what kind of a movie star is like, yeah, I'm 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 gonna do that and risk it all. Put all the chips on the table and just just fucking go for it. I have so much respect for him for 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 doing that. Since then, not as much uh not as much ballsy stuff. He's kind of he's kind of played it safe, right? You know, he's done the Mission Impossible stuff and I still love him. I still love, I
1: love his performances. I don't, you know, again, the guy is weird. Well, he's put <laughs> more energy towards, you know, yeah, Scientology than he has, you know, his performances and I think a lot of filmmakers and actors don't really want to deal with his shit. So, yeah. Like he's got his guy and Chris McQuarrie for the Mission Impossible movies and then from and then that's kind of it for him right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and we'll you know the movie we're talking about today is the reason he never worked with paul thomas anderson again <laughs> oh for sure and yeah for sure and i, I did want to say uh uh
0: of course the masters is, is the movie we'll be talking about a bunch during this episode uh jason robarts him and paul thomas anderson would hang out uh you know on the set and stuff because robarts couldn't really do anything he, that's kind of earl partridge is kind of kind of him in a way uh, he's just kind of bedridden, you know, definitely a sick man. And he was in the Navy, Jason Robards. And he. so he would tell him and Paul Thomas Anderson would just kind of drink and hang out together. And Robards would get drunk and start telling him Navy stories. And that's where we get a lot of the stuff that happens in The Master uh, is, from,
1: is from Robards. Yeah, very cool. Wow, Jesus, Paul Thomas Anderson does not waste a moment of his life. Everything no. gets put in a journal and gets brought up again at some point. That's fucking great.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. The Master, yeah,
1: we'll get we'll get to it. We'll talk more about it soon, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> sooner than you think. The next one is The Master.
0: Number four. Oh, God. Cool.
1: All right. All right. Uh, Explain. I, I, I didn't think I was going to like this one as much as I did the first time I saw it. I knew, you know, I love the cast, but I'm like, all right, how far is he going to go? Like, I heard it was a movie that was heavily based on you know, the early days of Scientology, Lancaster Dodd is very much a stand-in for L. Ron Hubbard and, you know, the cause and all that. It's all Scientology. But I wanted to know, like, is he going to lambast these guys or is he going to play it safe? And he kind of finds a middle ground, uh, which is fine. But the movie is so fucking engaging because of the three leads. They are so good. <laughs> and this- it's yeah. so like you don't skip like you, you. I tried to do like you know, write something or do something else while I was watching it. I couldn't fucking concentrate. I was like, this is too good. I kept going back to the movie, like this is amazing. And I love when a movie can do that. And this is like a huge ass game of chess between two very crazy people in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it never stops. Even in the end, you're like, who won this? <laughs> like who. Who came out on top here? You don't really know. You can watch this a million times and come up with a different option every time. This is a, a movie that's just going to get better the more I watch it, uh, as are my top three. I Yeah, this is fun. I'm excited to really dig into this. Uh, enough said. Yeah. God, this movie is, is, is absurdly
0: good. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It, it, like you mentioned, the three leads joaquin phil and uh, amy adams just putting on a clinic putting on a fucking show the whole time and and you can see their respect for paul's writing and for all these all these kind of bunkers ideas flying around and I, I yeah i'm with you i think i think it's endlessly rewatchable because no matter what you can always come up with a different idea of what, what just happened and who won and and who, who comes out on top. And, and right now my answer is, is, nobody. They're all, they're all fucking lost. You know, they're just lost in the lost in the mix. Uh, really Amy, uh, uh, Amy Adams wins, you know, uh, I think, I think at the end, she's clearly in control of what Lancaster and La- Lancaster also is used, is used of course, because uh, one of Paul Thomas Anderson's favorite actors is Burt Lancaster. So of course, we love him here on Oscar Sunday. He's one of our favorites. Elmer Gantry might be the greatest, best acting win of all time. So really cool that Paul also respects that and sees that and, you know, want to use that for that name. And And you can see a little bit of Philip Seymour Hoffman trying to kind of do that, you know, <laughs> fucking, yeah. fucking wild, wild, wild acting. All right, And, and this, in this movie specifically, um, the the technical things that are happening are fucking crazy and we'll be taught. I believe we'll be taught later on down the line. It's going to become, it already has become kind of a cult classic. It lost money at the box office, which is just a fucking shame that people didn't try to go see this. I saw it in theaters. Uh, I was 17. I saw on college station. I had no idea what I just witnessed. I was like, what? All right. I remember I saw it with my older brother and one of his friends, one of his roommates, uh, they they were, you know, living right around Texas A and M, uh, and none of us really liked it because we didn't know what happened. Uh, but I, my interest was piqued. Uh, I was like, "Wait a minute, there's something there that I I, I didn't that I missed or that I don't get yet <clears throat> at <clears throat> at my age, and that I need to kind of go through to 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 actually understand." And of course, that was the same year uh, I I became a missionary, and moved moved yeah fucking crazy <laughs> moved over I moved overseas to to uh, the wonderful country of Romania to tell people about Jesus about you know I, I was doing Christian minish, uh, missionary work and now when I the movie I just I'm like wow <laughs> I was I, I'm not going to say that Christianity is the same as Scientology because it's not uh, Scientology is very much its own its own beast and i w- i wouldn't want to entangle the two but as far as religions go you know i i i i'll say uh, this might bother some listeners i was almost sucked in like these people were you know and watching a movie like this now and watching all of paul thomas anderson's work because he deals heavily with religion uh and capitalism and Christianity and the combination of of money and and power and and those things uh wolf you know it's a whole different ball game and the master is is money (laughs) and it's so fucking funny (laughs) it's got some wonderful moments of humor between joaquin and and phil that are just that are just great i i i this has to be one or two for me um it's it's too good it's too good i i i love all these movies but these are like you have if you're a cinephile you have got to sit down and watch these movies you know and the master i I think the master is one of the best movies from the 2010s i think it's it's, it's up there, you know, uh, I'm, I'm
1: a believer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I too am part of the cause. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love, I love when Laura Dern is like, um, on page 13 of this book, it says, can you imagine, uh, uh can you see how that's different than saying, can you recall? And he, what do you want Helen? <laughs>
1: You don't this, question this is the new
2: book. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's just like L. Ron over, you know, he just kept writing. None of it made none of it gelled, none of it made any sense, none of it built on each other. He just kept going. And if you questioned him, you were a suppressive person and you got you were kicked the fuck out. It's yeah. oh, It's kind of brilliant uh, in a way. Like, you know, I've written shitty sci-fi, like where's my cult? <laughs> 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 oh, just, You look at the God. story and you're just- like in the right, like in the right moment, I, I might've been able to do that. Did I miss the boat? I think I missed the boat. It's, it's got a lot to do with how cool Lancaster Dodd
0: dresses. You know, he, he, he looks so cool and his mustache and his hair is always
1: on point. We fought the day and we, and we won. <laughs> his ability to spin bullshit out of thin air is unparalleled. Like it's, it's a fucking art form. It's a superpower. It's, We'll get to it, but yeah, I, oh boy. Um, Okay. I love the master. For me, the top five (laughs) are all essential viewings for cinephiles. Um, Mm. Number three, punch drunk love. I was wondering, I was wondering where that sucker was. (laughs) I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, You so, we so rarely get to see Adam Sandler really stretch his chops like this. And I think, you know, if he'd never done Punch Drunk Love, I don't know if he ever would have had the courage to do Uncut Gems. Mm. Uh, Like he needed to kind of open up his powers. And you see so much of what he's been hiding from the world in Punch Drunk Love. And his going toe-to-toe with just the sleaziest Philip Seymour Hoffman character of all time (laughs) is a gem like it's a gem it's so great their interactions are hilarious and also kind of scary uh yeah no kidding the the power psh is able to exert over his life just because he called a phone sex line one time and it's like it's creepy it's it's weird but it's also about a guy just kind of finally refusing to be stepped on and I, yeah, I, I, I like this movie. I like think it's an odd love story. I feel like that would never fucking happen. I feel like Emily Watson would have fucking ran. But whatever. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I love the whole pudding shit. Uh, the, the blue suit he won't take off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The unbreakable yeah. glass he shatters at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> it's, it's just all a bunch of moments that are like seamlessly weaved together into a crazy movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love this movie. This is,
0: uh, uh, this is clearly where, you know, you have Heartache, boogie nights and, and Magnolia. He takes a big turn as a filmmaker here with punch run club. It's only an hour and 35 minutes. This is the shortest movie ever to date. And his, his want, his desire to work with, uh, work with Adam Sandler at the time was powerful, was very powerful and Adam Sandler was, was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll, I'll do that. I'm a box office King. I'm the man. I just strung together tons of comedies that, that, that did really well. And Paul is able to do something there that just got the very best out of Adam Sandler as a Barry Egan. It's my favorite performance from Adam Sandler uh, of all time. I love that, uh, you know, Sandler and, and Anderson worked together in 2002 uh, then you flash forward to 2019. You have the Safty brothers who direct uncut gems working with Adam Sandler. And then Benny Safty shows up in licorice pizza with Paul Tom Sanderson. And uh, this year I love those connections. There's clear, there's a clear respect within these circles. Uh, Sandler as Barry Egan. Uh, two of my all-time favorite Paul Tom Sanderson scenes come from, come from uh, punch drunk love. Uh, of course it's when they're on the phone uh, Sandler and, and Hoffman and they just start screaming at each other, <laughs> and when Phillips and Ruffin's like, uh, "Did you just tell me to go fuck myself?" <laughs> like, and they start just yelling at each other, "Shut! Shut! Shut!" <laughs> and Phil totally, you know, gets him because he he just won't stop saying "shut." He's not even saying anything; he's just saying "shut! Shut! Shut!
2: Shut! Shut the fuck up!"
0: <laughs> and then uh, my second favorite is when uh, Sandler goes to Hawaii. Uh, when Barry Egan goes to Hawaii and he's on the phone with his sister, trying to get trying to get this girl's number that he's interested in, this woman's number, because uh, she's also staying in Hawaii and he's trying to find out what hotel she's at so he can go meet up with her, and she's like questioning the shit out of him, his sister. What, why do you why do you need her number? Why, what are you gonna do? He's like, don't fucking do this to me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and there's <laughs> and there's a parade going on right next to him, and he's at a pay phone and he's like, stop fucking treating me this way. You know, he's just doing the classic Sandler freak out, but it's inside of this kind of beautiful, fucked up, fucking punch drunk, you know, uh, love story, and it's awesome. It's a great movie. It's on HBO Max right now. Uh, it's the only one of uh anderson's films that's a part of the criterion collection so i I think there's a high high respect for it and i i have no problem with it being at your number three i i i love this movie and it's the easiest one to watch because it's runtime you know uh
1: yeah you're just you're not going to lose your whole day (laughs) i i love those scenes for me it's when it's it's the phone call obviously with with him and PSH which is beautiful but then when yeah. Barry goes to the fucking mattress store and confronts him with the phone him,
0: still at his head.
1: <laughs> with the yeah. phone still in his fucking head
0: he's like did you come from all the way all the way from Los Angeles to tell me this he's in Utah <laughs> what
1: the fuck you tell me that's that before I beat the hell from you. <laughs> he's just like, and then he has to get one last dig in. He's like, fuck you. He turns around. He's like, what? He's like, that's that.
2: That's that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I also love when uh,
0: uh, Hoffman's, the, the the family visits him in the truck and, and Sandler just beats the shit out of him with that. <laughs> with that. I think it's, I think it's like a pipe that he just fucking nails all three of them. And then he hands it to the last guy who's in the truck still. He's like, here you go. <laughs> gets back in the car and he's like everything's fine everything's fine it's all <laughs> it's just this <laughs> ment- mentally ill uh and and misunderstood person such a great character study and uh and visually stunning you know this movie is visually stunning it's got the real cool like red and blue
1: waves going on uh really cool stuff unlike any of his other work when we were at amoeba in la i i very nearly bought this criterion set and i i kind of wish i dad and put it back i should have bought that
0: yeah yeah i I thought i thought about it too i have owned it for a long time i uh this is one of the first pta movies i watched because me and my friend we were in middle school and we were like oh adam sandler let's check it out (laughs) we thought we were getting big daddy or billy madison or happy gilmore you know it's 2002 okay it's not that long after and then what's happening here? You know, I I loved it. My friend was like, that was stupid. You know, (laughs) we were like 13. So, you know, tough. I don't actually own any of his films. I, uh, I, I almost have all of them. I, 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 there's a couple that have escaped me, but uh, I don't own a heart eight. And surprisingly, I don't own inherent vice, but I will soon. Yeah.
1: I can't believe this is the only Criterion film. Like they'll, they'll wise up. I'm sure that like, all of his shit's going to end up in there.
0: I think so too. Uh, I also, yeah. PTA also has, has done a ton of interviews that have been on the criterion channel and has done different uh, him and Robert Downey senior have this really cool conversation that's on there right now. Uh, and then, yeah, that, that one's mind boggling. Since two guys are just, just fucking geniuses in their own right. And uh, his, his respect for the people that have come before him is very
1: cool. I, I really respect that. Me too, man. Okay, moment of truth. Top two. And if you know his filmography at all, you know what these two films are. The only question is, what order are they in? <laughs> uh, number two is "There Will Be Blood."
2: Oh,
0: <laughs> oh my god! I love it. I that's great. That's really cool. I'm surprised.
1: Yep, turns out I just love porn. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, there will be blood is one of the most intense fucking movies ever made. It is a perfect capitalism allegory and just an ultimate, you know, riches to rags story. Uh Daniel Day-Lewis outdoes himself if that's even possible and delivers a performance of the ages. <laughs> yeah it's his best work yeah daniel plainview what a duplicitous piece of shit just an absolute tyrant of oil like the king of oil just anything goes he'll fuck over anybody he'll destroy towns families religion anything to get his hands on as much oil as possible and you can't help but be mesmerized by this journey I mean, I love when our, when a movie, like when the protagonist is an asshole, just a bad guy, the movie is always just a little bit more interesting. And just watching Daniel fuck over everybody, uh, you can't get enough of it. Uh, the super tense score, the incredible cinematography, the performances alongside people going toe to toe with DDL, like, you know, Paul Dano and Kevin J. O'Connor, really like holding their own. Uh, this is yeah. This easily could be number one. I just the 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 other film just edges it out a little bit more because of just how like fun it is. Mm. Uh, but this one is essential. Like you need to watch this movie if you haven't seen it. It's it's a crazy crazy journey. Yeah, <laughs> I've always I've always seen this as
0: one of the one of the titans of of our century, There will be blood. One of the one of the very best movies, one of the very best performances for sure uh, of cinematic history. And one of the best English turn American uh performances I, I've ever encountered. It's it, it's to me. I would have this number one. To me, this is his this is his masterpiece. It's it's him at the middle of it's at the middle of his filmography. It's uh after you know of course heartache boogie magnolia punch drunk loves. So there's four and then this is his fifth. And he does the master inherent vice phantom thread licorice pizza after. So it's kind of right at the middle of the road. It's when he I think he's at that exact age where he's just at the tippy top of his game. Uh, he hasn't, he hasn't lost that young edge that, that, that wild side. And he hasn't, he's not, he's not too young to be making rash decisions. He's just fucking dominating this movie. He's directing the shit out of it. And the screenplay is fucking incredible. And, and there's a patience to it that I really respect. You know, it's about two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, same as, same as number one, uh, You you know the number one that we're going to be talking about here in a second. Uh, it's not boring ever one second. There's not one second that goes by if there will be blood and same thing for the number one, which is what's so cool about PTAs. There's guys who try to make these epic two and a half you know hour three hour movies that are just kind of snooze fest, and he makes every minute worth your time. And with, with there will be blood. Uh, you mentioned how that there's a lot of actors that go toe to toe with him and 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 how how can you <laughs> how can you look at the how can you look in that man's eye look in daniel plainview's eye and not just almost laugh from how ridiculously into it he is when when he when he has moments you know uh at certain meetings when you know he says uh, don't be thick in front of me al you know and then, and then there's another time where he Sees, sees someone he, he uh, was disrespected by, he gets drunk and he's looking right in the guy's face and he's, you look like a damn fool. <laughs> how, do you, how do you not just lose it you know, from this guy? Because it's like a defense mechanism. That's what I do. When I'm watching There Will Be Blood, I'm so frightened by him that I start laughing because I, I, can't, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And this is the best score Of any of his movies. Johnny Greenwood. This is the first time they worked together. And he found his. He found the guy who could match his intensity. And they haven't looked back. He's used him for every movie since. And this is the best. This score is so good. That is, you know, nominated for all kinds of stuff outside of the Oscars. But it. It was played live. The score was played live at like the Hollywood bowl and different places around California, because it's so fucking good. It's so, it's such an experience. And I, I, I can't believe how, how good this movie is. This is the one where, you know, I saw it at a young age, sometime in middle school. And it was the one where it was like, Oh, okay. I need to see whatever else this guy does. And that's why I went to see the master in theaters. That's why I went to see in her Vice and Phantom Threat and now licorice pizza was, this was the reason. It's not my personal favorite. Again, you know, Magnolia takes that takes that spot. But this is a—it's a feat. It's a total feat, and one of the best movies, definitely of the 2000s. One of the best movies of the century, and one of my favorites of all time. Uh, I also love this year. 2007 is fucking lights out. Three of my top maybe 30 movies of all time are from this year: Zodiac, No Country, and No Country for Old Men. And There Will Be Blood. Just crazy. All these, all these crazy ridiculously talented directors working at the same time uh and and it, you get this kind of beautiful beautiful year of cinema of Amer, uh, american filmmaking and god man this has to be number one for me I, I i i am not gonna complain about boogie nights being number one because i i adore it but there will be blood is is so fucking committed and so good so worth time so so, so worth your worth your time it's on netflix right now uh just like uh, the master is and Magnolia. Uh, A lot of, a lot of his work is available right now. So go check it out.
1: Oh, hell yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like I said, the line between one and two is very blurred here. Yes, Um, I agree. I agree. Depends on just how I'm feeling at the time. And I'm feeling a little (laughs) bit more giddy because it's Christmas. So I'm going to go boogie nights on number one, uh, a film that's just got the touch. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so entertaining it's just watching this dude with a huge dick just become a star and then fuck it up and then just descend into drugs and madness it's such an oddball and it's so crazy that he was able to pull this off That he was able to get burt reynolds involved that he was able to get julianne Moore, like legit actors in this movie that Sounds like a hell of a hard pitch in 1997. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. yeah, yeah, yeah. The you know Jillian
0: Moore, Don Cheadle, uh, all these John C. Riley, Philip Zimmer Hoffman, uh, Louis Guzman. These guys just they just buy in. They just buy in to whatever he says. Whatever he whatever he says goes, and it 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 shows in Boogie Nights more than anything. Sometimes I I watch, I watch this one more than any other, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I have watched this so many times that I can't even, I have no idea. I can't keep count anymore. There's been nights, there's been nights where, uh, when I was younger, uh, I'm still very young now, but we're we're the age that Paul Thomas Anderson was when he was directing this motherfucker, you know, like that's, that is insanity, insanity and making those soundtrack decisions and, you know, making those, those the editing in this movie is fucking nuts, but there's been times where I've watched this movie when I was, you know, 19, 20, 21, when I would go home after like a party and get, I would have gotten tired of everybody that was there and I would go home and I'd watch boogie nights. I would continue drinking or whatever it was smoking weed and fucking watch boogie nights. That's what I would do. It was this comfort food to me and it still remains that way. It's hard for you to explain to someone who hasn't seen it. Right. Like oh it's this movie about this like you said this guy this you know it's Mark Wahlberg with the giant penis and uh you know he he goes from being Eddie Adams to Dirk Diggler to Brock you know to Brock Landers to you know to you got the touch and 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 I don't know you just have to see it you know it's one of those you just you just got to check it out for yourself and see how how funny it is how dark it is how scary it is at times and if you can make it to the Ray Had Jackson scene with Alpha Molina you are going to be so happy <laughs> uh, that that is maybe Paul Thomas Anderson's best scene of all time is that that kind of finale where they've hit rock bottom they've hit complete rock bottom and i came here to fucking fucking you know they're they're they're, they're losing their minds and one of them has it. one of them has a mission that the other two don't know about and Alfa Molina is just fucking, you want to play some baseball? <laughs> you know, He's fucking doing drugs left and right. And, and, and I, I love that, love that scene so much. I love the ride that it takes you on. And really Paul Thomas Anderson in this movie accomplishes within two, hours, it's long, it's two hours and about 40 minutes. He accomplishes more in that time frame than a lot of people do now with these fucking stupid mini series that they're trying to like, Ugh do all this character development. He could do that in 20 fucking minutes. And you pause it, you pause Boogie Nights and you realize I'm only 30 minutes in yet. I feel like I've seen a whole film. I feel like I've seen that much development. I feel like I've seen, and it's the, it's that bouncing soundtrack that just moves, that just never stops and keeps you going. And you know exactly what year it is. You know what time frame it is. You know, you know exactly where um, Eddie Adams, you know, Dirk Diggler is in his, his run as a porn star, you know, going from 17 to 18 to 19 to early twenties to just fucking coked out freak. It's one of my favorite rise and fall movies of all time. I, I adore Boogie Nights. I have no problem with it being number one. I would, for me, I would, uh, I, 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 I think, and I, I, I've heard a lot of people say this is there's a big three with Paul Thomas Anderson and it's, there'll be blood, the master and Boogie Nights you can match that up with anybody else in the the history of cinema. You can match those three movies up with them and it's going to be a match. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be a debate. Uh, After that, it's all just fucking gravy, you know? And I love, I love everything he's done. They're all, they're all nines and tens and 11s and, you know, fucking through the roof kind of movies for me. And it's been a blast to be able to kind of go through his filmography, you know, uh, and hear exactly where you have everything. We did an episode on Boogie Nights. You know, i, I there, there's
1: there's nothing wrong with,
0: with Boogie Nights being number one. I think a lot of people see it as the most fun, and it is.
1: It is the most fun. Yeah, I can't believe, you know, I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I went into that movie with zero knowledge of it. I just wanted to see Heather Graham naked. That's the whole reason I watched that movie. And oh, I was girl. like, yeah, I was like, this is really good. <laughs> like, my goal was accomplished. But also kind of disappeared. And I'm like, this is I'm into this now. This is really good. <laughs> and I never looked yeah. back. <laughs> I, I I love when uh I love when Bert Reynolds uh Jack
0: Horner, uh, when later on in the movie when we're going through that very intense scene of of people falling, like it's now they're on the downslope. Uh like when we see Don Cheadle go into the the donut shop Oof. and we see we see Mark Waber <clears throat> go with that guy in, in his truck and and you know things happen uh we see roller girl and jack horner and i can't remember the other guy's name it's played by seymour castle though my guy uh they're all in that limo and they pick up the guy that was old classmates with roller girl and (laughs) burt reynolds is like come on man make it sexy don't just ram it in there this is roller girl (laughs) how do you write that shit down you know how do you write that down as a screenplay Uh, I I think that a lot with Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm constantly in wonder of how he – how does he do this? Where does he do this? What room does he lock himself into to just fucking crank this stuff
1: out? It's really amazing. It's unreal. I would love to hear him talk about his process, but also I kind of don't want to see how the sausage is made. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to know where does magic come from. Yeah. It's – I'm just happy to have – Access to these films, to this incredible catalog that's not even like close to finished. I don't think.
0: No, I no I no. I think he's going to go for a long time. Uh, I think he's very, very inspired by his kids now, and definitely, definitely wants to kind of you know at the end of the master, it's dedicated to uh, his his two oldest kids. Uh, it says their names at the end, you know. And I love that. I love that about him. And I think it's really cool. And he's for being for having so many strange, bizarre, funny, wacky films, the guy's really cool. I that's why I that's why I kind of stand by him. Is uh yes, his movies can come across as very pretentious and can be kind of you know out of someone's element. And I get that. I, I totally understand that, but if you listen to the guy talk, especially now, maybe not in the late nineties, but now he's, he's, he's very down to earth, very real. And he's very honest about kind of what gets, what gets him going as far as movies go and, and music and what, what excites him, you know, he's directed all these movies. He's of course done a bunch of shorts. He's done a ton of music videos for the band Heim. Uh, It's, it's cool what he's kind of packed into his life, you know, and again, married to Maya Rudolph. Very cool. That's such a that's such a wild couple. <laughs> like yeah. this SNL, this SNL turned comedy film star and Paul Thomas Anderson. Weird.
1: I think they balance each other out. I think there's just, yes. you know, she's funny, he's serious, and they make it work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Opposites attract type thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very cool. I love it, man. That was a blast. So number nine was in her advice. Yes. Number eight phantom thread yep number seven heart eight yep number six licorice pizza number five magnolia yep number four the master yep number three punch trunk love number yep. two there will be blood and number one boogie nights well done I have no problem i have, I, I have no, no no qualms with that uh the only the only thing that I would change is, is definitely putting the master somewhere in the top three. That's the only thing that I would say is. Uh, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I didn't say that the master is fucking
1: unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, no arguments here. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, absolute blast.
0: Now, let, let's look at from the, the eyes of the Academy real quick. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is nominated for uh, screenplay for Boogie Nights is uh, nominated again for screenplay. Uh magnolia and then there's uh, nothing there for uh punch drunk club which is a goddamn shame uh just great stuff happening in that movie i think it was just overseen uh and then uh he gets best screenplay nomination best directing uh and then as a producer best picture of the year for there will be blood so there's three pta nominations within one year for the same movie uh, and then best adapted screenplay uh for inherent vice and then his his uh, last movie, Phantom Thread, he got uh, a nomination for Best Director and then a nomination for being a part producer for Best Picture. So Phantom Thread got him got him some love there. Uh, yeah, I can't believe he hasn't won anything yet. That's kind of crazy. His time will come, though. Well, Licorice Pizza, maybe that'll be the one where he takes home screenplay. It could be. It could be. I don't think he's going to. I just don't. He might be one of those guys who just is so like elusive that it never happens. You know, but... Yeah. we'll see we'll see yeah I'm excited you know you, you know what the craziest thing though looking at that list is uh there uh, the master no directing nomination no screenplay hmm
1: you know what I think that is I think that Scientology influencing the academy and being like don't you dare award this man for his mockery I guarantee you that's what happened somebody went to the academy and was like nice place here be ashamed if something happened to it
2: Oh man.
1: I I I think I think there's
0: there's definitely some truth to that. I think uh well, I mean we saw, we just saw nothing long ago while we're in LA. Very close to the walk of fame is the giant fucking Scientology, you know. Are you curious why there's so many members? Not really. not really i don't really care to
1: you know deal with you fucking hooligans uh, <laughs> i'm as clear as i'm gonna get i think i'm good
0: yeah i've seen the master yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> the nominations it did get were all for performances uh, amy adams supporting actors philip Seymour hoffman supporting actor and walking phoenix best actor in a lead role so my first question is should Philip Seymour Hoffman be in best actor category?
1: Is he a supporting
0: character in this movie?
1: Mm. Tough. I don't know. I mean, like I said, this is a chess game between two psychotic alphas each playing their own way. And I see, you know, Joaquin is definitely our main character, but Lancaster is just as important to the story. I don't, I think they should have been a head-to-head in best actor for, for both of them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I'm going to going
0: to eat eat my eat my words here for a minute. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis wins his uh, wins his third Oscar for Lincoln this year. Yeah. I don't know, man. Joaquin is Joaquin and NFPSH and were in this category too. They're both so fucking good. I like Lincoln. I don't love the movie. I love what Daniel Day-Lewis is doing but I think Joaquin is putting his best performance of all time in this movie.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to argue that he is fucking mesmerizing. If, if PSH has had been here, do you think he dethrones Lincoln? (sighs) I don't know who won best supporting actor that year. That year, it was *Christopher Waltz for Django Unchained. Oh, that's tough. Yeah,
2: that's mm. tough.
0: <laughs> that's tough. We're, we're going to look at those in a minute. We'll, we'll look at those in a minute. It's, it's just fascinating because it's the same thing like with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. They didn't know where to put them exactly right. And I, I think with The Master, it's kind of one of those tricky ones where where like PSH compared to, uh, as Lancaster Dodd, compared to a lot of best actor nominees over the years is in the movie a lot more. Uh, but sometimes that's not how they, how they see it. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, let's talk about him first. He was nominated uh, for his, his role uh, in gladiator. He was nominated for supporting actor in that. And then the rest of these three are, are lead roles. Walk the line 2005 nominated the master 2012 nominated and Joker from a couple of years ago, 2019. He won, he won gold somehow in my mind, somehow he beat Leonardo DiCaprio. Who, in my opinion, Leo was giving his best performance of all time in Once Upon a Time and lost. And I think that's a damn shame. Joker is fine. It's a fine, fine movie, but most of it is point camera at star, dance weird. And I I just don't like when things like that are awarded over other stuff. You know, I, I think it I think I I think his role in Joker has a lot more to do with who is filming, how it looked who did the makeup, who did the costume design than what he did. Leo, in Once Upon a Time, he's doing so much. <laughs> and, and I think we're going to look back and kind of slap, you know, kind of kick ourselves because uh,
1: it's his best work to me. Yeah. I mean, with that loss, you know, Leo's going to have to go to Italy and make spaghetti Westerns. And yeah. you know how upset he's going to be about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rick
1: I love fucking it. Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> um who who else was up that year? I'm I'm looking up that Oscars now. Which uh, one? The one where where Joaquin took it for Joker. Oh 2019. Yeah. Best actor. Yeah. Yeah, that was Leo. He should have won that. Maybe Adam Driver for marriage story. Yeah. And cool I haven't that. seen Pain and Glory yet. And Jonathan Price was good, but yeah, Leo should have taken that. Yeah, I yeah, I
0: wholeheartedly agree. That was his that was that was that was his, that should have been his second his second win for I did uh,
1: really like Joaquin's acceptance speech, though. I like that he talked about his brother, he talked about inclusion, he talked about the environment, like he had a lot to say. Yeah, I wish he would have had more time because he clearly was like, uh, he's all over
0: the place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, lo- I love Joaquin. I really want to see uh, his his new film with uh, uh, Mike Mills directed. Come on, come on! Uh, everyone I know that's seen it has said it's just a fucking tearjerker and a beautiful movie. So I'm definitely check that out soon. Yeah. Uh, next up, Philip Seymour Hoffman, my favorite actor of all time. Just the he's the fucking he's the fucking man, and I love his Oscars run. I think it's really cool. Uh, I love all of his work outside of it. I think some of his best work ever has not been recognized and that's just a damn shame but uh 2005 capote his first nomination and also a win for best actor in a lead role incredible performance out of this world uh he was nominated again for best actor in a supporting role uh Charlie Wilson's War 2007 uh and then again a year later for Doubt uh also supporting role and then finally his last nomination just 2 years before he passed away uh The Master 2012 so Wow, what a you know what a fucking run uh, of four movies, four headed monster. But before the devil knows you're dead, come on, where's that lead nomination?
1: Uh, come on, like where is it? If he had been nominated for that, I honestly believe Daniel Day Lewis does not win for There Will Be Blood. Oof, that his performance in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead fundamentally changed how strong I. Felt about acting like that was not performance that was transformation in a way I have never seen before and I will defend that to the day I die lights out yeah that should have been up uh and that's not all like he has never given a bad performance he always cared about the character he always transformed into the character even in the fucking Hunger Games movies he was still doing something special uh not yeah. a lot of actors could do that um yeah i'm gonna miss him forever i know i know
0: he was i believe 46 years old when he passed away and just had, surely had a lot more to give as far as his art goes uh and you know the monster of addiction took him took him before we were already uh the the Silver lining uh, in the in, in his death is that it looks like his son is going to kind of carry the mantle. And I'm not going to lie. Uh, just looking at Cooper and seeing his dad in his face was enough to make me just really, really emotional watching Licorice Pizza. Uh, uh, PSH has appeared more than any other actor in, in Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. They had a very cool friendship. They very much understood each other when it comes to work and and outside of work. He appeared in five of his movies and that's a lot. That's a lot. You know, he wasn't here for two of them. So who knows, you know, he's at the time he died, he was in five of seven. That's, 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 that's pretty, pretty neat. I think when it comes to working with it, with a, you know, a a director actor work relationship, Uh, they they just had an understanding. I mean, he used him in Heartache Eight perfectly. The the scene where he's just come on, big time. You know, he's just fucking his hair is crazy. And then right after, as Scotty and Boogie Nights, one of my favorite uh, characters from the movie, and then bam, Phil Parma and Magnolia. What? And then, like we mentioned earlier, punch drunk love, his wild, wacky performance. And then they take a big break, uh, and he shows up in the master again and Knocks it out of the fucking park is <laughs> crazy. I think, I think Daniel Day Lewis in "There Will Be Blood" and then Phil and Joaquin and the Master is like, what more can you want? What more? What more can you want from a performance standpoint?
1: God, to Anderson's ability to to write these meaty fucking characters for these iconic actors to just you know, dig into, I mean, very few filmmakers have worked with Daniel day Lewis more than once. I think it's just Anderson and Scorsese.
0: Uh, I think Steven Frears might've done it again after my beautiful laundrette. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent. I would have to look at it again.
1: Did Steven Frears do in the name of the father? Yes. There you go. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. him too, but yeah, it's just uh, Daniel day Lewis. Is such a choosy, specific actor for the characters he chooses. He, they always have to have something, and for Anderson to do that twice is quite meaningful. Uh, and just everyone else he worked with, he, he he he's very representative of the term. There are no small, like, no small parts to small actors. Mm. Like every character in his stories means something. Uh, yeah, props. <laughs> Yeah,
0: very, very, very cool. I I can't believe the difference in something like There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread. That he's able to give him these two just places to just play. He's like, here you go, buddy. <laughs> you know, I've got it all for you. Uh, and 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 uh, our mistake. It's Jim Sheridan who he worked with twice in My Left Foot and in the Name of the Father. Our, our oh, son. okay, Jim Sheridan. All
1: right, glad we yeah. glad we cleared that up.
0: Yeah, because I was like, "No, it's not Steven Frears. Who the fuck is it that directed that goddamn movie?" And then, I, and then I remember my left foot. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's who it is." <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ, my left foot! I mean, good, good heavens. Uh, another, yeah, that's for a whole different conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, PSH. Uh, he's a guy who we gave a show uh, episode to. We gave we we gave him his own his own episode back. Long time ago on Filmgasm We were doing, we were doing these episodes uh, Every fifth episode of, of Filmgasm We were calling kind of Weird Shit Wednesdays Where we just did something a bit different And we both took it upon ourselves To kind of watch everything he's ever done uh, And I think If I'm not mistaken We didn't watch uh, uh, Scent of a Woman During that run And we waited until it was on Oscar Sunday And we talked about it and that's where he kind of comes on the scene and he's so, so good in that movie. <laughs> Young PSH is a goddamn treat. Uh,
1: so, so is Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, is that your favorite? That's your number one. It's not necessarily my favorite, but I do think it is his best performance. Okay. That's totally fair. Yeah, favorite. Ah, shit, I don't know, man. That's a tall order. <laughs> I got to take a quick glance at the filmography. Uh, That'll just make it harder. <laughs> <laughs> reminded of some stuff. Um, Owning Mahoney, two thousand three. Fuck yeah! Oh, maybe, maybe. Um, I you know what? Just because of what it means to me, it's probably Red Dragon. Mm. Is I love he plays such as like he plays a sleazeback so well, and the comeuppance of that character is so dark and so freaky that it just worked. I buy every moment of him glued to a fucking wheelchair being taunted by Ray Fines, and him realizing like, I'm not making it out of your life.
2: Hmm. <laughs> it's
1: just that acceptance like coming over him. I buy it. And then just getting his lips bitten off and lit on fire. I mean, what the fuck? Um, yeah, that's a favorite. But owning Mahoney is definitely a gem. I'm glad that I was I discovered. And then you know, Brandt and the Big Lebowski. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. obviously yeah. A, a favorite of mine. <laughs> That's marvelous. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> this is our concern, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. <laughs>
0: uh, he's so good in that. Yeah. I love I love that he the the guys he 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 chose to work with. And and then and then he's able to, you mentioned earlier, he's just kind of able, anything you give him, he's going to fucking chew on it and tear it to pieces. Uh, one of my favorite scenes of his is hit the basketball bit between him and Ben Stiller in Along Came Polly. <laughs> the Rainmaker! <laughs> he's, he's too good. He doesn't need to show up for that. He doesn't even need to fucking try. But he knocks that shit out of the park. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, my dad, my dad's a big reason why, uh, you know, for a lot, like most people, you know, one of your parents or both your parents really like movies. Uh, my parents weren't exposing me to all kinds of stuff, but my dad definitely tried to, cause I, again, I, I grew up, I've mentioned many times I, I, uh, I grew up going to church uh, in, in a, very much in a Christian home and going, to, I went to a uh, private Christian school and, so it was just different. It was just different than you know what a lot of people go through when it comes to pop culture, and so there were times where, uh, my dad would bend, try to bend that a little bit, and be kind of like the cool dad, and he took me to see Mission Impossible Three, which I Ooh. believe is I believe that's two thousand six. I was eleven, uh, and I felt so awesome. You know, it's like oh my god, I'm seeing fucking Mission Impossible, and he's he's the villain. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is the villain in that one. And it's my favorite Mission Impossible movie, pretty much because of his performance in it. But that I, I, I was a kid, and I even then I knew this guy's fucking special. Whoever that guy is, I I I, I want to see more. And of course, as I get into middle school and high school, I see I see the Lebowski's, I see the Boogie Nights, uh, and then as time's gone on, you know, Doubt, Capote, Charlie Wilson's War, The Master. You know, just this guy's fucking lights out every goddamn time, and I. I'm going to continue watching his movies. Always, always. He's my favorite. We have our fucking award named after him. So um, I love the guy to death. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to go from him to anybody else. But if we are going to go to somebody else, it's someone as wonderful and as talented as Amy Adams. Six, six bloody nominations and no wins. Fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, her first one was uh, Junebug 2005, supporting actors. Out 2008, supporting actress The Fighter, 2010, supporting actress The Master, 2012, supporting actress American Hustle, lead actress, 2013 And then, of course, her wonderful role in Vice Alongside Christian Bale uh, In 2018, she's, again, uh, supporting actress Is there someone as prolific and as talented as Amy Adams In their prime right now?
1: I mean, she is fucking amazing She's, an, she's a fantastic actress and an incredible character actor. Uh, it is kind of a crime. She hasn't won one gold yet. I think we'll see it. Yeah. I hope we see it. Um, Me too. But yeah, I think she's lights out. She's one of my favorites. Uh, and her presence in this movie is cool because she is kind of the overarching secret major player that you're not paying attention to. And that's that's a cool performance.
0: Yeah, she's yeah, she's like the first lady, right? She's pulling the strings behind every good man, there's a good wife type. That's that's kind of the the, the deal here. And her line towards the end of the movie of this is something you do for a billion years
1: or not at all. This isn't fashion.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh. oh
1: it, for me, the, the moment where she just like Starts jerking him off and is like, "You can do whatever you want as long as you keep it out of, like, keep it away from me. Don't do it in public." Now, like, let me take care of you. Like in that moment, you're like, "Oh, okay." She wears the pants in this relationship, clearly. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That scene is great. Yeah, and and this is something that uh, you know, is not easy to talk about. But is there a director who's better at realistic sexual scenes than Paul Thomas Anderson? This guy is fucking unreal. He's so good at uh, getting actors to be oddly intimate. And it's, it's realistic. It's not this fucking, you know, 50 shades of gray bullshit. It's like two people in a moment and she's like, are you going to come for me? And he's like, Oh, <laughs> Phillips Morhoff is just like, Jesus, you fucking own me. <laughs> and, and, um, and inherent vice. There's, there's a scene between Joaquin and, and Catherine in that movie that's just fucking unreal and, t- and totally blew my mind the first time I saw it. I was like, are you kidding me? I've never seen something that, that honest to real life and how people actually operate in that, in that realm. Uh, and of course, of course, Boogie Nights. So uh, the, guy, the guy is just, a, quite frankly, he's a master. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson of all uh, all ranges
1: of his craft. Well, he doesn't even try to make it all that sexual. He kind of just treats it as like a part of life, which very few filmmakers do. It's not special to him. It's just Tuesday, which is mm. kind of, you know, I think it's a good move. It's smart to do it that way. He just turns it into a regular everyday thing. Whereas a lot of filmmakers turn that into like the show piece, the like the centerpiece of their film, which is, you know, can be interesting, but is not always necessary.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so
1: good, so good. A- Amy, uh, I
0: I know you're not a huge fan of Arrival, but I really wish she would have been nominated for that movie. She's so fucking good in Arrival. Uh, I love her in that one. I also love her like in fucking Enchanted. You know everything she <laughs> she kind of touches. I-, I I enjoy what she does inside of every movie. But of her nominated stuff, I think it's The Master and in- 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 Vice. Of course, I love her in Vice, but her role in Doubt, going, going head-to-head with Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman is no easy task. Uh, and at the time, she was
1: like 30 years old. Fucking crazy. Yeah, that movie is, uh, is a unique film. Uh, tough to swallow for some people. But, and really kind of makes you ch- pick a side in a very difficult situation. Uh, And Amy Adams is kind of there Having to make that decision She's fantastic Uh, But really I think you know After watching The Master again And realizing her role in The Cause Is so much greater than I initially thought The layers of that I think this is the one she should have won for Mm. Okay Well that's
0: perfect Let's go right into that Um, Best Supporting Actress At the 85th Academy Awards Uh, We have Jackie Weaver, Silver Linings Playbook, Helen Hunt and the Sessions, Sally Field in Lincoln, uh, Amy Adams in the Master as Peggy Dad, and Anne Hathaway, Lame as Rob. That's who won. So, Lame as Rob is just not for me at all. Uh, my <laughs> vote is definitely with Amy Adams. Uh, Sally Field, pretty damn good in Lincoln, and Jackie Weaver, pretty good in Silver Linings. I think that movie's a bit overrated,
1: and admittedly I have not seen the sessions so shame on me I have not seen the sessions either Helen Hunt just kind of disappeared which is a little weird like she was huge in the 90s she had her bit you know another Oscar nomination here and then I haven't seen her since I think she did like the Mad About You reboot and then just fell off the map again yeah Uh, weird all right Anne Hathaway and Les Mis she's really good but it is just a brief kind of she's in like the first 20 minutes of this two and a half hour gargantuan musical epic, Uh, which I did kind of like, but this, this was Amy Adams time. Uh, She is so good in the master. She's like the fucking, you know, trying to think of like a comparable, like if, all right, here's a go. If PSH is Saruman, she's fucking Sauron. Just yeah. watching yeah. everything happen and waiting for her moment. Mm. It's really cool and a very neat villainous performance that you kind of don't even notice the first time.
2: Uh, oh
0: no, not at
1: all. You're blind to it completely. Cause she's quiet. She's subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas he's a boisterous, loud, you know, charismatic face of this religious movement. She's the fucking soul. She's the one inspiring him to write. She's leading him, like telling him how to, you know, how to, how to say this shit. She is the cause. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think this is, this is definitely her Oscar and I would have to really look at the other 2012, uh, you know, performances inside that year, but I think it's Amy Adams kind of no matter what, uh, Inside of a movie that's that powerful And uh, yeah and the, big, the the greatest point you had Was with Peggy Dodd Specifically if you watch this movie Two
1: three four five times Every time she gets a little bit scarier And that's that's cool that's cool She's the one who tells him Like you're not tells Joaquin like you're not welcome Here anymore yeah like Get out <laughs> Ah okay Yeah yeah you have to stop boozing Yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that. Oh, love that beautiful. so much. <laughs> All right. Um, Jesus Christ, supporting actor. This is a group of motherfucking legends. We have Tommy Lee Jones and Lincoln, Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master, Robert De Niro in Silver Linings Playbook, Alan fucking Arkin in Argo, and winner, Christoph Waltz in Django Unchained. Jesus Christ, this is a. This is a just incredible group of of actors, all kinds, you know, we've got De Niro, who's this just legend leading man who all of a sudden, you know, is able to just kind of do everything and is, I think, over the course of his career, really learned how to play off people and and be a good supporting uh, performer. We got Alan Arkin, who's just been around forever and didn't quite get his flowers until until later on in his career. Uh, Philip Hoffman, a dude who's at the top of his game. Tommy Lee Jones, another one of those kind of gritty got a different kind of gravitas than everybody else. Like I'm tough. I don't, I'm not a fucking Hollywood actor. You know, I'm, I'm fucking Tommy Lee. And then Christoph Waltz, who's a guy who took a long time to blossom. But once he did, it was like game over, shut it down. You know, this guy is a match made in heaven with Quentin Tarantino. So, um, I, I, I I'm not going to say he doesn't deserve this at all. Cause he, I mean, he's amazing and Django, but I would give it to, I would give it to
1: PSH. Yeah, I figured. Um, This is a cool group because I think this is like a rare moment where all five of these guys are past winners.
0: I love that. That, I love that.
1: That's fucking awesome. (laughs) Uh, And they're all really good in their respective roles, but honestly, I just fucking love Dr. King Schultz. He's such a great character. I'm okay with Kristoff taking this one. And I wonder, like, Leo should be here. Calvin Candy is a performance. (sighs) Too dark for them, I guess. <laughs> I think take out Alan Arkin. Honestly, Argo is pretty forgettable in itself, and give it to Leo there, and maybe Leo wins this. Because I'm every time I watch Django, I'm more terrified by Calvin Candy. Oh, he's the scariest
0: character in Tarantino's filmography, and that's that's going against Hans Landa from 2009. So I mean, fucking forget about it. God, those two racist assholes would get along so well. <laughs> They would, they truly would, and I love how Christoph Waltz gets to kind of show his. Oh, I can be a good guy. <laughs> yeah,
1: like he plays not just like a good guy, but like the most noble man in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: He's 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 fucking excellent in this movie. Um, are you following along on Wikipedia? Yes. Okay, so to the right, you know, there's photos of everybody, or, or maybe it's above it. There's photos to everybody of everybody. Uh huh. Do you see the photo of Daniel Day Lewis?
1: the fuck what is, is he wearing <laughs> rainbow scarf plaid jacket pork pie hat i don't know what's going on there but i love it I, I do too but jesus fashion has changed drastically when you are that talented you don't give a fuck about fashion you,
2: <laughs> you are don't need, fashion. You got nothing yeah. to
1: prove yeah he <laughs> can oh, show up um, in like a fucking you know ski mask and a batman cape and he is still the most impressive son of a bitch in the room. Yeah,
0: he truly is.
1: Oh, I'll teach you to speak English with this fucking knife. Yeah.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Best actor. Speaking of Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, best actor, we got Denzel Washington. This group is fucking nuts too. Denzel Washington for Flight. Joaquin Phoenix for The Master. Hugh Drackman for Les Rob. Bradley Cooper for Silver Lang's
1: Playbook. And the winner, Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln. Oof. Jesus, I'm sweating. (laughs) I love when I've seen all the films and I can actually think about this. Uh, Boy. Denzel in flight. Super underrated performance. That is such a cool movie.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think this is a three-headed race. Um, Bradley Cooper's good. But it's not a performance that I think lives on like these others. And Hugh Jackman, again, I'm pretty biased. I'm just not a fan of Les Miserables. I think it's... Just, I think it just is... is uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just not for me. Not not my kind of experience. But the other three... All right. Fucking toss-up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. All right. I haven't seen Lincoln in a long time. Me neither. Uh, yeah. But he is... Just... You know, he's, he becomes fucking Abraham Lincoln. Uh, maybe the greatest leader this country's ever had. And... You believe it. But Joaquin in The Master is vicious, is so broken. So like look searching for some kind of meaning and never fucking finds it. Gets tricked into thinking he's found it. And you just the whole time you're thinking like this guy has nothing left. And Joaquin delivers that so well at a time when everyone kind of thought he was burned out. He was done after that documentary came out. Everyone's like, what the fuck? And then he does this, and you're like, oh no, like he has not even begun to peak. Oh no, no.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's his, right? I think at the end of the day, if you had to really, you know, gun to the head, it's fucking Freddie Quell. It's, it's got to be Joaquin it's it's not just the you know classic actor <clears throat> facial expressions and nailing the lines and kind of delivering every little bit of it. it's the physical performance with this it's the fucking shaking his body and moving around like a fucking like an animal which is so cool because in the movie Lancaster Dodd is we are not animals we are above that yeah
1: <laughs> you know it's the you it's, know it's crazy it's the constant like unblinking long shots of him like slapping himself when he fucks up like there's a rage in that character that is so like just palpable and you just keep waiting for it to come out and it comes out in the weirdest moments just out of fucking nowhere he is so just backed into a corner it's it's a vicious performance and I wonder if he pulled a little bit of this into his Joker performance oh yeah Oh, yeah. You can tell there's
0: uh, specifically uh, towards the beginning the way he's standing, uh, you know, when he's in the Navy uh, and he's on, he, they're, they're all the guys are on the shore and they're making that sand, sand woman, basically. And he's just looking at it. And the way he's hunched over and he has his hands like kind of on his hips, you know, I was watching this with, my, with Brianna and she was like, God, his posture is just bothering the shit out of me, you know, because it's just. <laughs> He looks so fucking uncomfortable in his own skin, uh, and the way he's moving. And some of the there's a few times where he laughs when it's just there's no laughter needed at all, and he just kind (laughs) of you know does this weird, and you're like, oh my god, there it is. You know,
1: there's Uh, like moments when he's talking to Doris's mom, and she's like, well, it was great seeing, and he's like, oh, am I leaving? Like, it's like there's a monster in there. (laughs) Yeah. It's- and the, and the,
0: the 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 scene where the uh, the guy is showing him pictures and he's like, "What does that look like?" He's like, "That's a lady's pussy."
2: <laughs>
0: what about this one? That's that's a cock going inside of a pussy. Okay, what about this one? Mm, actually, that's kind of like an upside down cock. And the guy just says, "Thank you." <laughs> like Joaquin, you know, on, only him, you know, only him. And then and then of course um, that scene, the first processing scene. Is where I think is if you want to learn about acting, I think, you know, from the 21st century, there you go. You know, that scene is both of them, him and PSH, just fucking
1: out of this world. Oh, I don't want to say too much for fear of giving away my awards, but yeah, you're on the money. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's get to those, man. So we've covered those. Those
0: three uh, categories, uh, these are so much fun to kind of just look at because you get to see names like Denzel and fucking De Niro and Sally Field, people that we've covered multiple times on the show. I love revisiting them through different ceremonies. But um, my favorite part always is at the end of our show here is, is giving awards out to, to a specific film. And it's always great when, you know, it's a true favorite of mine. Um, the Master is a is a 10 out of 10 type movie to me. And- I'll watch it till the end of time. I think it's great. So you know, we're going to have a lot of fun here with our uh, awards, the, the Quentin Tarantino award for best, best line, which I think is fitting because this is when Tarantino finally won his screenplay award for Django. <laughs> uh, and, and he was elated when he went on stage and I love how much he cares, you know, uh, it's chilling and, and inspiring how much he cares about everything film, you know, and There's people who I think are fans of his who are like, fuck, fuck the establishment and fuck awards, you know, and awarding art. And he's like, no, it's cool to try. It's cool to try. It's cool to try your hardest and do something as well as you can and get recognized for it. I love that about him. So very cool. I love that we named this award after him and that's never changing. (laughs) Uh, The Ennio Morricone award. That's not changing either. For best music moment, which we got a lot from Johnny Greenwood's knockout score in the Master. Uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman award for, of course, the best performance of the movie. And then we have the Roger Deacons award for the best scene of the movie, which I have four things written down. I had to cross out three of them. Uh, so that was not easy. <laughs> oh, those are the best films
1: when we have trouble yeah. with it. It's, it's the best.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, of course I know what's coming. I've seen this movie plenty of times, uh, and it just rocks me like a fucking wave every time. And I always am like, oh, this is my best. This is my favorite part. This is the best part of the movie. That happens every time. And so I knew it was coming, but still very hard. Uh, go ahead and take it away
1: with your Tarantino. I have two and one of them I'm fairly certain is also yours. Um, so I'll just go ahead and say it. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So the first one is when uh, Lancaster is at his New York party and trying to convince this old woman of, how his, uh, his methods work. And this one guy's just like, Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Like eight times. <laughs> and finally, Lancaster's like, What? Just turns <laughs> around like, What? And the guy's like, I don't, I think this is horseshit. Like, you're not time traveling. You're not reading minds. Like, and the guy, and he just responds, like, after a heated argument, Lancaster goes, If you already know the answers, then why ask, big fuck? <laughs> like, out of nowhere, shuts it down. That, it's beautiful I've never heard the term big fuck before and it's kind of entered my lexicon oh
0: yeah you and I say it all the time now uh, it's 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 the best that scene is that scene is so good I think he says excuse me I was trying to count I think he says it 12 times finally Lancaster turns the way he turns around like like he's spending so much energy just to pay attention to this fucking guy you know <laughs> And and the guy's right you know he's like isn't this hypnotism yeah isn't this a
1: <laughs> this is bordering on cult isn't it
0: yeah. He's like true true
1: <laughs> oh my god is,
0: tis tis i love when he says
1: t- oh my god <laughs> this scene is so good and then he ends it with we are not helpless <laughs> like like you're you're the offended party here <laughs> yeah yeah he, yeah he says
0: uh uh when when John Moore is like, I'm sorry, you're unwilling to defend your beliefs in any kind of rational. If 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 <laughs> if you already know your answers, um, yeah. And he, the pig fuck is so well delivered, but he doesn't just leave that to kind of hang out in the air. He immediately goes into, "We are not helpless, and we're on a journey that risks the dark. If you don't mind, a good night to you."
2: <laughs> so good.
1: <laughs> oh boy. Uh, um. Was I right? Was that, was that yours? I I, no because I knew it was going to come
0: up. I Ah. was going to, it's, I mean, I I wrote down pig fuck, but it's not my official Tarantino. I have a different line. That's my favorite line from the movie, but uh, yes. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's, that's iconic to me. It's one of my favorite bits from any movie ever is, is pig fuck.
1: Yeah. It's (laughs) hilarious and it's intimidating and it's crazy. And it's one of the first glimpses we get at Lancaster is unhinged as shit. (laughs) My other line is one of the most unnerving and also badass things I've ever heard uttered in a film. And it's at the end of the movie when Dodd and uh, Freddie part ways. And Freddie tells him, you know, like, maybe in the next life. And Lancaster says, if you leave me now in the next life, you will be my sworn enemy and I will show you no mercy. Fuck me, man. Had a what an exit.
0: <laughs> oh, jeez!
1: And then he sings Slowboat to
0: China. Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this guy's all-time villain, all-time. Uh oof, Yeah, that scene is awesome. That line is so cool. I will show you no mercy. <laughs> and and then before that, he I it's in the it's in that same breath he Lancaster goes through He's like, oh yeah, I finally remembered where I where I knew you from And that whole bit is so crazy That I, I'm like, is that true? <laughs> Holy shit, this guy is going into serious detail About how they
1: work together in Paris As George Costanza once said It's not a lie if you believe it Yeah, there you go, there you go
2: Oh my god
0: <laughs> I love <laughs> Lancaster Lancaster Dodds my favorite fucking son of a bitch of all time (laughs) um those are great those are fantastic I I think there's a lot of lot of lines here in the screenplay that you could you could point to and uh one of my favorites that I actually I think when I I did some sort of write-up on film guys a long time ago where I, I was talking about the master or one of these actors and I used the quote um that from Amy Adams from Peggy, where she says, "You either do this a billion years or you don't do it at all. This isn't fashion. I love that so much. It's such a cool line." But I um, watch watch every time I watch these movies for Oscar Sunday. Uh, no matter what it is, I'm always either watching something for the first time, and I'm you know trying to trying to see what I think about it, critique it, or I'm watching something that I love, or whatever it may be. In this case, it's something I love, and so I'm trying to find out what do I love about it most, you know and I think my favorite bit of the screenplay comes when we first see, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Lancaster and Freddie kind of, kind of lock. And they're, they're like these two, for lack of a better word, they're these two animals just like kind of locking. And they're like figuring out how am I going to take you down? You know? And I love how we see them wrestle in the lawn later on in the movie. You're like, that's what they, that's what they always want to do. Uh, uh, you know, he he explains to him. Lancaster explains to Freddie that, oh, you stumbled onto my boat. You were acting fucking aggressive because you're too drunk last night. But I need to know what's in these remarkable potions, you know. Uh, and then Freddie's like, "Well, what exactly is it that you do?" And Lancaster says, "My favorite line from the movie." Lancaster says, "I do many, many things. I am a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist, and a theoretical philosopher. But above all, I am a man." hopefully inquisitive man just like you i was
1: this close i almost wrote that down oh Uh, beautiful line yeah and so remarkably full of shit yeah
0: exactly exactly and so that's that initial um you always in in life you have when you meet somebody you have this first impression that you're allowed to give and you know depending on how gullible that person is and what they've been through in their life and what experiences they have they might believe you, you know, they might, they might buy it. And in this case, I think we didn't see something that happened on that boat the night before Lancaster was like, I'm going to fucking capture this being. And I think that is the moment where he's like, I'm going to make it seem like I am just so far superior to him that he has no choice, but to just keep following me. And I'm going to get him and bring him into the cause. And I think he probably did that to a lot of people that are a part of the cause where he just puts you under his thumb forcibly without you totally knowing it. And he's a master. I mean, you know, that's, that's why they call him that. He, he is a master of his own craft, even though it's complete horseshit. And I love that. I love, I love PTA. You know, he, you know, he could use many different things, but using writer, doctor, nuclear physicist, and theoretical philosopher, those just flows perfectly in a sentence. And then saying that above all, I'm a man. I say that all the time. I say that to my brothers. I'm like, but above all, I am a man. <laughs> they're like, shut the fuck up, <laughs> yeah. shut the fuck up, Donnie. And and I, I, I adore, I adore that opening opening bit between them two. You know, uh, at that point, we've only been with Joaquin and seeing PSH for the first time, sitting down. This, you know, he's like buttoned down, fucking
1: pajamas. Like, look at this guy. Look at that mustache. He's great. I am a writer, a student, a podcaster, but above all, I am a man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's an exactly. amazing way to introduce yourself. <laughs> it, it really is. It's genius.
0: Genius. And PSH, again, his delivery is, it's them too. It's, it's Paul Thomas Anderson writing for actors, giving them stuff to chew on and getting the right people to deliver it. You know, thats that's always the most important thing is finding that match.
1: When a character like this is, you know, you're playing a cult leader, you're playing a guy who fashions himself, you know, a true scholar. And the only way you're going to ensnare people is confidence. Like you have to believe that you are a genius, that you are a scholar, that you are changing the world, or else how the hell are they gonna fall for it? And yeah, PSH encapsulates this just supremely confident fucking car salesman so well. It's brilliant he's selling you nothing there is it's eyes <laughs> he is like the whole the fucking dragon story at the wedding toast oh my god he pulls completely out of his ass <laughs> just like, like yeah wait wait what's this <laughs> how about a dragon, a dragon? <laughs> yeah. even said just, laugh. how about so this
0: <laughs> i love i love that and he's like and now we're going to teach it to roll over and play dead. And everybody just starts clapping. Like, what? This guy's fucking off his rocker. <laughs> he's lost his goddamn mind. Uh, th- yeah, there's so many bits, so many things that he says. that I-, I love after his daughter's wedding when he's like, he starts clapping. And he's like, we fought the day and we won. You know, <laughs> And they're all like, yeah, good night,
1: Lancaster. You know, what the fuck? It takes a special sort of brain to manipulate people like that. And yeah, you just, you buy it because PSH is so fucking committed. Yeah. And,
0: and, and the fact that they're buddies, you know, PTA and PSH, it just makes it even better, makes it even juicier. Because I'm sure on set PSH was like yeah man I got this you know and Joaquin's like fucking
2: losing his mind you know and
0: he's yeah. he's running into walls and shit <laughs> and PSH is like this is just this is what we
1: do for fun you know <laughs> yeah I bet like as soon as Anderson yelled cut he was like alright so like you know what are we doing next like you want to get some lunch or something and Joaquin's over there just like intensely staring at a wall or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... Right, (laughs) so good, so good.
0: Oh man, I love this movie with all my heart. Um, all right, yeah, that's enough for the Tarantino because we could, I mean, the whole screenplay we could talk about forever. Um, the Ennio Morricone Award. Did you choose a P? There's some good soundtrack, little needle drops here, some really strong ones,
1: but score is really good too. So, where'd you go? The score is amazing, but I did pick a needle drop, and specifically because of how weird and out of the blue and unnerving this is, and it's when. Lancaster uh, leads his group in a rendition of a roving. And every, as soon as, every time the camera pans away, there's more naked women (laughs) every time. And it's so, you're like, is this really happening? Is Freddie losing it? Like what's going on here? And his song is so infectiously like just cheerful and everyone's naked and all the, like, it's, it's so weird, but it just makes sense because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's pure cult. Yeah, yeah.
0: When I saw this in theaters, this was the scene where I was like, mm, "I don't know about this guy. This guy, Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm not sure about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I understand this. You know, why am I seeing a pregnant Amy Adams naked? Why is this happening? Why, are, why, are, why are we doing this?" <laughs> <laughs> ah, and now, I was. Just, now
2: I you
1: know, just now, now I just buy the ticket and take the ride. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just like thinking okay this is odd but this is exactly what a cult leader would do it always comes down to i want to fuck all the women that's always what it comes down to every cult leader throughout history that is what he wants to do more than anything and here is the moment here's where lancaster is you know doing it and peggy calls him out like keep that shit behind closed doors (laughs) oh yeah yeah fascinating stuff watching him
0: perform Watching Philip Seymour Hoffman perform, when I heard his son Cooper and Licorice Pizza say, "I can't help it, I'm a showman," I was like, "Oh (laughs) fuck!" It was just just tear jerking, you know, because it's, it's, that's his dad, you know, and hopefully, hopefully, we get more stuff to come from the Hoffman, you know, the Hoffman legacy, you know. Very cool. Um, I I chose a bit of the score. I love the score a lot. I love. I think Johnny Greenwood is just as important as anything that's happened to Paul Thomas Anderson in his career. Uh, I mean, ma- matching up PTA P- P- and, and Radiohead is come on, it's just crazy. It's just like, uh, of course. <laughs> uh, my favorite bit. I mean, I love, I love Timehole. I love Back Beyond. I love Overtones. These songs that are just these these beautiful beautiful songs but my favorite is is the very beginning it's called able-bodied Seaman." it's the mm-hmm. the song that's playing at the very beginning when we see uh we get like a nice little fisheye lens of joaquin cutting you know he's using the machete and he almost cuts his fucking hand right there yeah only joaquin would do that he thinks about um, it he's like uh, nah yeah I just, should i just chop my hand off yeah and then that's when we see him working with the other guys on the sand woman and he goes up to it and starts like acting like he's fucking it and you're just like, okay, this guy's weird. Uh, and then when they first meet, when they first come face to face, Lancaster and Freddie, he calls him that. He calls him an able-bodied seaman, you know. And he's like, no, you, you know, you're you're a fucking scoundrel, <laughs> you know. And uh, he's like, no, if you have work, like I can do it, you know. Freddie's like, I, I, you know, I can do whatever, you know. I'm a Navy guy, and I love the title track. I love that it gets brought up later. I love that. That opening sequence just like pulverizes you. You're like, Oh shit. What am I, what am I watching? What is this? What kind of madness am I about to, about to jump into? I like Paul Thomas Anderson's ability to put you in a setting and you don't even have to wonder what time, what year it is. Like, Oh, it's clear. Very clearly the forties and fifties, like very clearly. And I, I love that about PTA. He doesn't need to tell you anything. He just shows you.
1: And, uh, johnny greenwood is a big part of that in my opinion i nearly did pick that for my morricone i love that score at the beginning it really lulls you into a weird kind of dreamland where you're like Hmm. this isn't right something about this isn't right it has the the strings of a horror score yeah so unsettling
0: yeah i it's brilliant yeah, the, the strings now have been used in almost every A24 film uh, that's come out since The Master. <laughs> it's kind of <kinda> crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, brilliant. I'm glad we were able to kind of showcase the soundtrack and the score.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, the soundtrack, you know, you, you also have that really cool moment where uh, Get The Behind Me Satan plays by Ella Fitzgerald, and that's a powerful track. Powerful. And I I fucking love that usage. I also love uh uh from the from the score, I love uh the split saber. That's a really cool, really cool track. Yeah, this is this one's great. You know, just look it up on Spotify or whatever, Apple Music, whatever you have, and just check it out. You can kind of get lost in Johnny Greenwood's score. I would say the 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 master score and the There will be blood score are just on different
1: levels. Yeah, absolutely. They're both very uh there's scores that trap you, yeah. <laughs> in the movie, like you, you're not leaving. Like you're here till we say it's over, correct. And that's that's brilliant music. Uh, yeah, I was saying in like in the most recent, uh, I, I, I'm spoiler free, but Spider-Man No Way Home I just watched, and I realized I was more excited for the music cues of the characters than I was to actually see the characters. Mm. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, I like that. I I like that a lot. Good music is one of my favorite things in the film. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely, extremely
0: key. And, and one of my favorite things about uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, his soundtracks, they've taught me so much about music. I've, I've found, I've, I've either found artists that I didn't know about or rediscovered artists, you know, like, Oh yeah. Like when he, uh, most recently uh let me roll it by paul picartney i was like in licorice pizza i was like i fucking love this song i forgot how much i love
2: this song
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> and and now i now i'm i've been listening to it every day since then you know uh i, I uh same thing with david bowie in, uh, in licorice pizza i was like oh yeah david bowie kicks ass you know i don't listen to him enough like i used to uh and with there will be blood or uh, sorry the master it's it's ella fitzgerald um Last night I was like, "Oh man, Ella's just got this fucking searing voice that I I want to get back to listening to." Because there's you know there's so many artists out there that you will go through phases of listening to somebody, but Ella Fitzgerald's someone I was like, I need to put her back kind of in my repertoire of listening to you know kind of week in week out.
1: I adore Ella Fitzgerald's "These Foolish Things." It's one of my favorite songs of all time. I I can just lay down and just lose myself in that song
0: yeah just melt yeah yeah she's a transcendent type of type of type of voice fucking a (laughs) good yeah good stuff all right here we go the (laughs) uh the philip seymour hoffman award is does it go to philip seymour hoffman or does it go to joaquin
1: phoenix for me it was finally time to give the philip seymour hoffman award to philip seymour hoffman (laughs) me too yeah (laughs) yeah yeah
0: it's it's time. It's it's finally time. Um, we haven't really had this opportunity. Yeah, not not really. You know, we've we've talked about you know, like when we talked about boogie nights. Like, come on, like Scotty's not better than yeah. You know, Jack Horner or Dirk Diggler. You know, it's just not. He doesn't have nearly as much time. But right here, it's a heads up. Yeah, fucking showdown between Joaquin and Philip. And I think Joaquin is doing some really impressive impressive physical stuff. But it's but it's Phil that has the like maturity in the performance to just, just like knock you on your ass.
1: Like it's just crazy. Yeah. It's such a layered performance of evil and psychosis, but also a firm belief that you truly are changing the world. Mm. It's a crazy mixture that creates a cult leader and you, you buy every second of it. It's such a, a beautiful performance I just love that he, his speeches are so meaningless. If you really dissect what he's saying, he's not fucking saying anything. Yeah. But you, you're, you don't have time. You're too mesmerized by what by the way he's saying it. It's confidence, it's expression, and it's power. I, I yeah, you can learn so much about people with this movie. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, yeah, fucking A, man. And that,
0: that's actually, that's really interesting because that, that goes into, <clears throat> like, bleeds right into my deacons is what you just said about he's saying nothing, you know? And if you really pay attention or if you read the screenplay, you'll be like, this guy's a fucking phony-ass prick. <laughs> like, but, but, it's, but it's the delivery. It's that delivery. It's that charisma. Um, oh,
1: yeah. I'm very curious to hear what you have for the deacons. This kind of bleeds into my deacons as well. Uh, okay. And it's the arrest same same yeah 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 exactly because that's when that's when
0: Joaquin uh well the night before it's this whole it's that whole like 10 minute stretch where I'm just like cinema uh he, he he's he's laying on that couch and Amy Adams is uh Peggy Dodd is like you need to stop boozing and then right when he wakes up he goes out to the porch and fucking pulls out his flask and then Jesse Plemons uh Lancaster which is just so cool Jesse Plemons you know right towards the end of breaking bad. Are you fucking kidding me? And he's, um, he's sitting outside and it looks like he's asleep on the porch. His name is Val, uh, Lancaster's son. And that's, that's when Freddie kind of challenges him. And then Val's like, you know, he just makes this shit up. Right. You don't, you don't see that yet. (laughs) I love that bit. Fucking love when finally Jesse Plemons is us. We're like, okay, someone
1: finally called him out. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in that moment, I love that uh, Freddie's immediate reaction is, you got something you want to say to me? Like, it's right in his face. Like, it's a challenge. It's, oh, God. And then, yeah, the arrest and Freddie just being like, well, I don't know where he is. Like, completely fucking with the cops. (laughs) (laughs) And Val's like, he's right inside. Just go get him. (laughs) Oh, Uh, man. And then they end up in jail next to each other after Freddie starts punching cops. And Freddie's reaction just destroying that toilet like just breaking it with his feet which was apparently real that was a real like old toilet that Joaquin it's a, destroyed it's a real porcelain toilet that yeah even even Paul Thomas Anderson's like there's no fucking way he's just gonna and he knocks it out in one fucking kick he just boom <laughs> and just you know Lancaster standing there perfectly calm just waiting for Freddie's tantrum to end and Freddie starts you know the tack in the bed and Lancaster's like, keep your head. We'll be fine. And he's just like, you make this shit up. You're lying. You're not saying anything. And that's what my favorite moment happens. Well, Lancaster's like, fuck you. They are facts. Fuck you. Just start screaming at him. Like, that's the real <laughs> Lancaster guy right there. That's the con man underneath all the bravado is this guy who's like, fuck you. I am a master. And like, how dare you call me out on that? Who are you? You're lazy. <laughs> Yeah. There's,
0: there's a lot I have to say about this whole, this whole run. I love when the the Philadelphia police department comes to pick him up and like, Oh, we have an arrest for, you know, Lancaster Dodd. And and Lancaster's like, what is it against the law to make people better here? It's like, uh, yeah, without a license, you fucking idiot. You know? And, And then that's when, like you mentioned, uh, Freddie starts losing his goddamn mind, and and just you know he's all over the place, and they have to get like three cops just to like just to just get him down on the ground, and he ends up getting arrested too. And I love how Lancaster shouts out, "Do not hurt him!" <laughs> he's like he's like on the steps about to go into the fucking prison, and, and and that that bit is, is two of, of our finest actors ever, uh, just in, in in two jail cells uh, and. Joaquin for that scene watched um, I was recently shared this information and, and watched some stuff for myself, read a bunch of stuff, but I, uh, I was texting my older, my older brother, Jeremy, he lives in Minnesota. Shout out to him. He's, he's, he's great. He adores this movie and his girlfriend, Alex adores it just as much or even more. And she's the biggest Joaquin Phoenix fan I've ever met. And uh, they were showing me this, this like article and this different stuff about Joaquin prepping for this role and prepping specifically for this scene and he was watching animals in captivity videos of animals in captivity and how they you know just lose their like functions and start doing things out of their body and that's what's happening there is he's he doesn't even know where he's at anymore you know he's losing his mind he's been suckered he's been put through the gauntlet of being in war coming back not knowing what he's doing he get it, it, it and like You forget all at the beginning of the movie what what causes him to run and go to this this boat that Lancaster's on is him getting accused of poisoning somebody, and so then he's you know all of a sudden he's he finds his way onto this boat and now he's with this guy and he stands stands with him you know stands up for him for what reason, you know for what fucking reason is he doing this, and when he starts smashing his back into the bed, you know all this stuff is Joaquin it's just Joaquin it's not that stuff's not written down it's Joaquin Phoenix just going that extra mile to like, to give us what we got again for a movie that didn't even make its money back. <laughs> like, and that's such a damn shame, you know, cause this scene specifically is, is like, should be put in a museum. It's so fucking good. And I, uh, I, I have to, the, the stuff they say to each other, I have to just read it off. Uh, Lancaster is watching him do all this. And he's like, your fear of capture and imprisonment is an implant from millions of years ago. This battle has been with you from before you know. This is not you, and Freddy's like, "Shut the fuck up, <laughs> Lancaster." It's not you, Freddy Quell.
2: Shut the fuck up,
0: <laughs> Lancaster. It's not you. You are asleep. Your spirit was free, moving from your body to the next body, free, free for a moment. Then it captured by it. Then it was captured by an invader force. <laughs> Jesus. Bent on turning you to the darkest way. You've been implanted with a push-pull mechanism that keeps you fearful of authority and also destructive. We are in the middle of a battle that's trillions of years old and in the making and it's bigger than the both of us. Freddie Quayle. You're making this shit up. You make this shit up as you go. You don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then they're released. And they hug. And they hug. And they have a drink together and, and Lancaster becomes even more determined than ever to, to change him, to mold him. And he puts him through this rigorous routine to try to change him. And that's the best moment in the movie is that 10 minutes of. Whoa. <laughs> I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe that kind of acting just happened. I can't believe they said that stuff out loud. And it's just to die for, you know, it's so worth watching the movie just for that moment. <laughs> it's- it's the best. I, I'm, I'm really glad. I wrote down pig fox scene. I wrote down processing scene. I wrote down the scene when he's walking back and forth between the wall and the glass window uh, and Joaquin's just losing his mind. And then Rami Malik, fucking Rami Malik, Oscar winner is in this movie. Yeah. And he's like, uh, Doris, Doris. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you know, Joaquin's just uh, putting on a show there uh, a few times. And, but ultimately, this that 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 bit from being arrested to going to jail and coming back home is the is the best part of the movie to me.
1: I'm just picturing somebody who's never seen this movie seeing your list and reading pig fuck scene and processing scene and having some real weird questions for you. Oh, for sure. I think
0: <laughs> I think people probably have weird questions for us anyway. Uh, <laughs> To, to be quite frank, uh, yeah, this movie's perfect, man. It's perfect for me. It's a 10 out of 10. I think it's uh, PTA in total control. It's like two hours and 15 minutes. Not too long, but I I, I don't think it should be any shorter. I really don't. Uh, I think it's all worth it, and you need you need all that stuff. You need the end sequence where he's in the movie theater and then gets called by Lancaster and then goes and visits him in England. Uh, all that stuff is great, too. It's, it's the best.
1: Did you find me i yeah. love that and he never tells him but that's that's power uh um it's an eight for me but you know me an eight is a strong score for me uh it'll probably you know i watched this a couple more times it'll probably go up yeah
0: yeah it's it's one of those movies that gets better the first time i saw it, it was probably like a six i had no idea what the fuck i saw you know and <laughs> yeah. uh I was I was way more into you know just like action movies and uh, at age seventeen you can imagine you know uh, I just hadn't I hadn't I hadn't experienced anything like this uh, but ten years later you know here I am and I've seen it probably I've seen it probably five six
1: seven times somewhere in there and I just yeah I adore it it's great beautiful yeah this was a this was a fun one this was a passionate episode and I I love when we're both just on fire like this yeah it's a lot of fun (laughs) (laughs) beautiful what uh this is it for 2021 um yeah it is it is and and, you know we're gonna we're
0: gonna we're gonna do something a little bit lighter to open up 2022 uh on oscar sunday uh you know we got you know obviously it's christmas weekend so we hope people are enjoying that but next weekend is 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 fucking new year's and uh that be a lot of fun. So I wanted to do a movie that combines Christmas and New Year's and kind of the holidays in general and a movie you haven't seen that I want to show you. And so it's 1989's When Harry Met Sally, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Nora Ephron. Uh, just, a, just a really, really solid movie when it comes to the uh, rom-com genre. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited for you to see it. I think you're going to really dig it. And uh, it's going to be different, you know, much Change of a pace for for what what we're used to here uh, on Oscar Sunday. So I I like doing that every now and again, just kind of changing it up, doing a different genre. Yeah,
1: I love that we have a show here where we can do fucking you know Shrek, The Master, and When Harry Met Sally just randomly throughout the the catalog. It's the the parameters we've given ourselves here are fucking perfect.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I agree. It's
0: it's kind of limitless, right? But I but I know that we have. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, we have one more sneak preview tomorrow for the for 2021. And we have one
1: more filmgasm episode this week. So what are we doing on those sneak preview is going to be a bit of a hodgepodge. We've got the Matrix Resurrections uh, being the Ricardos. Don't look up and the King's man we will be covering whatever uh, we get to see of that bunch. And then, you know, whatever else we feel like doing sneak previews become pretty loosey goosey. Uh, yeah. And then Filmgasm, we're ending on uh, 2021 on a big high note. We're tackling the iconic 1981 classic, The Evil Dead. Mm. Uh, been wanting to do this movie for a long time. Very excited. Um, and then extra special awesome. We um, made an announcement on last week's Filmgasm that starting January 7th, uh, we will be launching a brand new show. Uh, hosted by Filmgasm co-host Caleb LeJay and most occasionally hosted, well, pretty much frequently co-hosted by myself, uh, Beyond the Bad, where we're going to be covering the worst reviewed films in history and try to find a silver lining of these horrendous, shitty movies. Movies that most people have ignored or thrown away or buried deep, as deep as they possibly can. And we're going to dig those graves. We're going to dig them up. (laughs) We're going to watch this shit. Uh, We're starting with Batman and Robin, like maybe the worst superhero movie ever made. So tune in uh, Fridays starting 2022 for that. I'm so excited. If you want to hear more about it, check out last week's filmgasm where Caleb and I go into depth. Fuck yeah, man. Beyond the bad. Going to be really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited
0: to add that, you know, add that to our, to our resume of just, uh, wild and completely different kinds of podcasts you know different kinds of shows for all kinds of people to to enjoy i definitely will try to try to make an appearance or two on that show just for fun uh because it's it's fun to watch shit you know it's fun to watch shit every now and again you know you get you get too riled you get a little too riled up if you watch the master too many goddamn times and you know you you get you get you get a little wacky so i think it's fun to to watch stuff that's just just
1: fucking movies you know just popcorn well, we've already recorded the first episode, uh, and one thing I realized it's just it's fun to have a place to just bitch, to just complain, to just dig into the worst parts of Hollywood, the worst parts of movie making, shitty acting, pretty much the opposite of this show. <laughs> it's gonna be fun as hell and just like a nice end of the week release, I think, for all of us. <laughs> so I like that. I like that. Yeah. It's gonna be fu- fucking great. Uh, as I said, Friday, January 7th, first episode of that show. Beautiful,
0: beautiful. Uh, well, well, uh, this was a lot of fun, man. One of my favorite episodes we've ever done on Oscar Sunday. Uh, always good to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson. Always good to hang out with you. Uh, you know, I hope uh, people, you know, like what they hear and you can follow us on uh, uh, Instagram and Twitter uh, at Filmgasm on both of those. You can kind of see different things we're doing and, you know, watch, check out some reviews. Check out our website, Filmgasm.com. Uh, see some articles different you know I, I, one thing that i really like on there is uh, our hall of tens uh connor caleb josh and i all have uh, every movie that we've given a 10 on the website and given a review we have those kind of uh, alphabetically ordered so that's just something fun we do on there and we're going to be adding more stuff uh, as 22 as 2022 starts rolling i'm really excited so uh hope you guys have a good week hope your christmas was good and uh signing off is austin johnson and connor is gary so we'll see you guys later
1: Hell yeah peace you.